Well, a good morning, everybody, on this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, as I subtly and casually check my phone to make sure I get the date right, December 16th. Uh, on this Wednesday morning, we're happy to be coming to you live from the Real Talk studio in beautiful Edmonton, Alberta. Ryan Jesperson here alongside our intrepid senior producer, Samuel G. Brooks. Good morning. How are you feeling this morning on this December? Does the, does the, does the, uh, the divulgence... Uh, although you're a details guy, you were probably, if I would have walked in here and put you on the spot an hour ago and said, quick, what's the date? Would you have said December 16th? Uh, yes. And, and mostly because, uh, I have to prep all the media for the show and I have to prep all the files and I name everything with the date. Okay. So it's one so of the, it's on just, it. it's so, <clears throat> it's so, uh, it's so hardwired into me to, to just be, you know, organizing things as per date that that's that. Yeah. I, I tend not to forget. Are you set up already for the holiday? It would, like assuming that your loved ones are not tuned in right now, assuming that we're not going to be giving anything away. Are you prepared or are you panicking now? Nine days, really eight day, eight days from Christmas Eve, nine days from Christmas. How well are you set up? I, uh, I'm trying not to count days. <laughs> Because I'm just like, hey, Christmas is like sometime after next week. Okay, so you're, um, so you're in trouble. I, I, I'm not in trouble. I have um, I have a couple things I want to make, and I have all the materials like stacked up ready to go in my garage. And I have uh, gifts for the people in my sort of immediate surrounding ready, picked out, ready to go. And then there's like sort of the wider breadth. And, and you know, I, I kind of gave myself a bit of a mental pass. Like I have some little things for my friends here and there. Yeah. It's not going to come before Christmas. It might come a few days afterwards. I'm okay with so that. So you are, you are yeah. as... As our Latin American friends would say, you are muy tranquilo. You are muy tranquilo. Everything is going to work. You, but, but at the same time, I, I absolutely love, you're, you've got your own little Santa's workshop going on at your place. <laughs> you're you're going to be making your gifts. And if I've, if I've seen uh, friends at home, Samuel G. Brooks, uh, you, you got to see this guy. Like you might think like, ah, oh, he's a pretty good producer. Yeah, he is. And then you say, you, and then you find out that he like ran all the audio and video in here. You go, ah, oh, he's pretty good at setting that stuff. And I go, yeah, 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 he is. And then you find out, and then you see his woodworking as an example, and you go, what the hell's up with this guy? How did Jesperson find this guy? And, and I ask myself that every single day as well. It's unbelievable. A man of many talents. We're lucky to have you here, Sam. Well, well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's, See that? Uh, that's, that's very flattering. See, he, even, he yeah. even subtly, like just to pull back the curtain for a second, he even subtly switches himself back on camera to receive the praise. Like that's how good this guy I, is. I need to get better at putting myself on camera. Like I'm usually just focused into responding to whatever you say, and it's it's kind of in my peripheral. I mean, you can see this is the monitor where I see what but, the but what the live view is. So, so sometimes yeah. I'll remind you. Like sometimes I'll say, I yeah. remember last week at one point I said, "Put yourself on camera to receive the <laughs> to receive the praise. Put yourself on camera to receive the praise." Uh, we are we're so excited about today. So I want to let you know out of the gate. So there are interviews that are that are gonna happen. Happen, and then there are interviews that might happen today, and um, and and you might say, well, are, are these guys panicking? We're not panicking. If they don't happen, that's fine. We've got a backup plan, um, which, quite frankly, uh, is to talk to Sam about his Christmas ideas and to get to our hashtag Real Talk RJ, which is how you can get in touch with the show in the YouTube comments as well. In all seriousness, the worst though, backup plan. No, it's it's a yeah, fantastic we'll, backup. We'll be plan. just fine because we're going to be easing into. Uh, we're not ready to divulge yet. Uh, our New Year's Eve morning plan because there's still some planning that needs to go into it but we've got some pretty cool shows coming up we we tossed around some really fun ideas yesterday really fun oh ideas. yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be great but but we're not going to be like if you're expecting you know, on december 23rd 24th which we are doing shows we're doing shows the morning of the 31st um if you're expecting those to be pedal to the metal banging on the table political coverage no 
Um, you know, there's a, there's a good chance that our coffees will be a, a, a light cream color, if you know what I'm saying, on those mornings. Uh, there, there's, there's a very good chance that the conversation will be lazy and meandering, but still wildly entertaining. So we're going to soon be shifting into a bit of a different vibe as we get closer uh, to, to a Christmas season. You but know, you talk about like cream color coffee. Have yeah. you tried yet? I, I got I to gotta plug a product that I'm in love with right now. Have okay. you tried Hansen's Salted Caramel Liqueur? Excuse me, Sam. Oh, oh, do you have a bottle here? <laughs> as as uh, as Jespo gets up to go over to the Real Talk bar in the corner of the room to grab his bottle of salted caramel. Uh, so this, is, this, is what you're, you're this is what you're telling the people this about is a, right here. This is what I'm telling the people about right here. Let's, uh, Do I have a bottle, he asks. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, I've been a little obsessed with this stuff lately. Uh, there's a freebie for you, Hanson Distillery. We love your stuff. This stuff is absolutely delicious. It's, uh, first of all, it's it's never a freebie uh, because now let, this is real talk. And so the real talk is now we expect a case of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> if we're showing it on. By the way, the pod board, this is allow me a, a moment of immodesty for one second. Uh, the moment of immodesty, because we're super excited about this. Um, the Podboard 100, which is like the Billboard Hot 100, uh, the Podboard 100. By the way, is is based. You know, it's based out of uh, Sweden. Yeah, you talked. You talked to those guys on yeah. on Zoom one day, and well, it was, they that was really do, cool. Uh, they want to do an interview with Real Talk because they're trying to. So we had never met these guys before. I was I actually wasn't even sure where it was based out of, but the Podboard 100 started tracking Real Talk when we launched the podcast, and obviously because of you at home and the action on the Real Talk RJ hashtag and the number of downloads and subscribers that Real Talk saw early we're saying early we're in like <laughs> we're still early we've done fewer than 20 shows but but in the very early stages you started to make a lot of noise right because all of a sudden there's this podcast out of nowhere that has thousands of subscribers and and is trending on twitter and they're going well, what what's up with this pod so we reached out or they reached out to us so we connected with them in sweden of all places uh very cool stuff and obviously you had to coordinate that so so we're talking to them at like three in the morning and uh, anyway, so they explained to us what the deal is, and they, they track podcasts from around the world. You can follow them. They do their rankings. And this morning, uh, they've announced again that Real Talk is back on top as Canada's most listened to daily podcast. Like, crazy, right? Number one in the country. And so they tweeted this morning, the bad thing about Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, they said, is that we have to try to find fun ways of saying uh, he's on top of the Podboard 100 charts again. Give it a rest, they say. Uh, guests yesterday, Ann Castleman from the Walrus, Heidi Bergstrom, uh, and then of course uh, Dr. Mana Sale, which what was a uh, monster episode we had yesterday. Holy man! Right? I I kind of felt like, and then and then yesterday, if you joined us on our uh, exclusive special, we're calling this a special broadcast opportunity. Um, uh, about two o'clock yesterday, just after two o'clock our time, Dr. Stephen Duckett joined us, eight a.m. his time in Melbourne, Australia. You remember the former CEO of Alberta Health Services, the whole cookie incident? Well, he joined us yesterday. We're about to bring you some highlights of that interview. So a wild day with with those three in the morning, right, with with uh, Anne and Heidi and, and Mana in the morning, and then Dr. Stephen Duckett in the afternoon, and I think you and I were both pretty excited about that. So, so that's what's been going on around here lately. Why don't we, before we get started, I mean, we haven't even officially started the show yet because the show doesn't start until the opener. This is the cold open still. This, this is, is this, this turned into, into my be this our is, longest cold open yeah well i think I, wasn't, I think yesterday's was like 12 minutes yeah probably or we're, 
we're enjoying ourselves. You know, we're having a good time, and we hope that you are too on this Wednesday morning. The cold open doesn't start until we recognize our hot presenting sponsor what bitcoin well we're super excited that bitcoin well joined us right out of the gates we met with them before the show launched and they asked about sponsorship packages and they said yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but what's the title sponsorship package because they wanted to be part of this there's something something happening at bitcoin well you know it started modestly uh, people are talking about cryptocurrency and bitcoin and and adam o'brien he starts this company and then the next thing you know yeah, there was a lot of hard work in between. But the next thing you know, they've got like 40 employees and they're set to go public. They're moving into new digs downtown because they've outgrown their old place on White Avenue, though you can still get in touch with them there for right now. Really interesting and exciting story. If you want to get on the Bitcoin train, if you're interested or maybe you just want to learn more, you need somebody to kind of spell out and explain what Bitcoin's all about. Maybe you want some Bitcoin gift cards to stuff those stockings with, give them a shout. You can find all their information under the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, so I've got a tweet coming my way that's saying, Jesperson, you told us about the guaranteed guests, and you never told us about the ones that might show, but you don't know. And you're, you're right. I should, I should announce. It might be bad luck, though, to announce a guest that we've not totally confirmed, but we told you yesterday. So we're going to bring you our Stephen Duckett interview, highlights of that in just a moment. Uh, very much looking forward to talking to Dr. Trudeau Lemons uh, out of the University of Toronto, the Faculty of Law. He's a, a professor of law and bioethics. He's an expert on medical assistance in dying. He's testified uh, before major uh, players in Canada. You know that this Bill C-7 is in front of the Senate right now. Dr. Lemons has written about that and is going to be kind enough to join us on the show in just about a half hour's time. So we're looking forward to that insight on, on obviously a very serious uh, bit of subject matter. In the 9 o'clock or the 9.30 to 10 o'clock block is where it gets interesting. Uh, John Mark Earl, uh, I, I uh, I believe his home is Peace River, but we'll clarify if and when we connect with him. This guy has been doing, and I don't know if he calls them this, but the, the polar bear swims. Sam, do you, can you call up one of his photos? So we've got a whole bunch. We've ripped a bunch of photos off his Instagram. We're excited about this. John Mark Earl, it, the guy's an absolute, like as a compliment, he's a lunatic. Like as, as a total compliment. And every single morning, literally every morning, Today is the one-year anniversary. Every morning, he grabs like a chainsaw or an axe or whatever the situation calls for, and he and he takes a dive. He he. Look at this guy. Every single morning, he does this. And today is the one-year anniversary. So John Mark has agreed to join us on the show. But here's the thing: where he lives and where he dips, uh, it's not always conducive to to great reception. And so he's going to be checking in with us. If the signal's strong enough, he's going to take his dip live with us right here on Real Talk. So this is the message he sends me yesterday. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk to the guy, and, 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 and we're trying to coordinate the details. And he's doing an amazing job working with us. And he reaches out and he says, I'd like to do as much as I can from the water, right? He says, he says it's going to be a cold day here. He says, but I'll give it a try. He says with the, the water temp and the air temp, what we're expecting. And by the way, he does everything right here. Maybe I should have the, the, the caveat or the, the asterisk here that says, like, don't do this in the North Saskatchewan. Don't try this yourself if you don't know what you're doing. Don't be inspired by him. And gra- kids, don't do this without talking to your parents. 
we've said all that. I believe we've we've absolved ourselves of any legal implication here. But but he so he monitors air temp, water temp, he monitors the flow of the water, all these types of things, right? It could be extremely it is extremely dangerous. It could be worse. He says, so at, with the water temp, air temp, what we're expecting, if I wear a toque, he says, I should probably be able to talk to you for about 10 minutes before I start shivering too bad. He says, I checked the river out, and it seems to be frozen enough that I can probably stay protected from the ice chunks that will be moving through. So it just, to me, that was a bit of a reality check as to the, the type of conditions that john mark earl deals with so hopefully if the signal is strong enough he'll be joining us live and taking the plunge live on real talk coming up around 9 30 today we're also expecting and and the only reason uh why this may not work out is because she this morning has her way in but edmonton-based eight-time world champion boxer jelena Merdenovich tomorrow is defending her world title in los angeles uh, she's obviously down there now. Today's her way in. And so she said to us, we asked her if she could talk to us in about an hour from now, around 945. She says the only reason would be if if she's like a pound. You know how these fighters work, right? She says, I may have to drop weight. Uh, fighters are on another level mentally and physically. Uh, so, that you know, it's it's not unusual for fighters to be dropping like, you know, and I'm not going to talk like I know what I'm talking about. But like, you know, she might need to drop like a pound or two pounds in like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You know, they, they put on the well, we'll ask her how she does it, if she can join us. But, I, you know, you hear these stories of boxers wearing like like, you know, garbage bags over, you know, they cut it. They cut a hole for the head. I'm t- suggesting all these really dangerous things here. We're, these are what the experts and the pros do, friends. Not what we do. But they'll, they'll create a situation where they're just going to sweat it out. And then they'll, like, ride an exercise bike in, like, a parka for an hour. To, it's totally it wild. It sounds like torture. It's totally wild. Like, it's just, like, I cannot believe putting your body through that. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. She, she, though, is, I mean, eight-time world champion, right? And a lot of people are saying that this fight that she's got coming up um, is, uh, is Paula Torres that she's going to be fighting. Apparently, people like Jelena's chances, although I'm not sure. We'll see how she approaches it. So if... If the weigh-in goes well, and if she's free and clear, eight-time world champ boxer Jelena Merdenovich will join us in about an hour's time. Let's get to our conversation with Dr. Stephen Duckett. So here's the deal. Uh, Dr. Stephen Duckett, uh, now in, in Australia, his country of origin, which is where he's back working as a, a senior health executive, is, is, is about more than the cookie incident. Right. He's about more than that. Uh, Ten years ago. uh, Can you tee up that video? We have that video, right, of of the cookie incident. Do we still have it? So you'll probably remember this. It was 10 years ago, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was like November 20th, 2010 or something like that. Dr. Stephen Duckett. Here he is. He's at the Matrix Hotel in downtown Edmonton. That's uh, Laura Tupper. Uh, uh, formerly a reporter at CTV Edmonton. There, there's obviously a ton of reporters there, and they're following Dr. Duckett out, and they want comment about there was a there was a crisis in Alberta's emergency care, and there was there was a lot of sniping back and forth between Alberta Health Services and the politicians. And Dr. Duckett claimed after this occurred that he had been ordered by the premier's office to reserve comment on what had happened behind closed doors in that emergency meeting at the Matrix Hotel. Well, reporters knew that he was there. Reporters knew there was a meeting. Uh, kudos to the the camera operators that were able to keep this steady shot for, for about two minutes. Something that, that only only people like me that have operated cameras uh, well, notice is, is, too, is the, uh, did you notice him click the ND filter on he as soon as click, he walked out the window or out the door? And, yeah. and switched, I would assume, to either a preset or, or yeah. auto white balance as well to go from indoor light to outdoor. See, it's hard to do. We're nerding out here. But, but that camera operator deserves a huge amount of credit. 
credit for this steady shot, we'd call it. Uh, so Dr. Duckett was refused, and there you have it, reporters from the Globe, the Journal, th these are, you know, uh, there's Briar Stewart from the CBC. This, the point is that everybody's cameras were rolling on this as Dr. Duckett was refusing to grant an interview. And he was saying, I want to eat my cookie, right? I want a cookie. He said it like a few times. And he got, first of all, totally lambasted for it. Uh, second of all, he got fired for it. He was canned five days later, uh, lost his job as CEO of Alberta Health Services. It's, it's, it's not quite a million-dollar-a-year job, but it's close. Like, the CEO of Alberta Health Services, I think, I think the, the previous one made something like 700, 800 grand. It's, a, it's a, like you're on the sunshine list. Put it that way. I think it was around 650 when he was something there. Something like that? Yeah, because yeah. I remember the news reports. Yeah. And then, but they, then with these, these, uh, these, these high-ranking executive officials, there's always like the, oh, yeah, and you get this, and oh, yeah, and you get that. And Anyway, the fact of the matter is everybody remembers Stephen Duckett for that. Stephen Duckett is also, quite frankly, a very charming fellow and and good at his job. Like he, he went to the School of Public Health after that and then went back to Australia. And now he's been doing a lot of work at a think tank, uh, coordinating uh, a lot of Australia's efforts or at least commenting and, and working with government on policy to ensure that Australia does a pretty good job when it comes to COVID-19. Adjusted for population, Canada, you know, with about 37.5 million people, Australia about 25, uh, the numbers, uh, you know, our numbers dwarf theirs in the wrong direction, right? To give you a sense, you know, uh, Alberta has seen 28,000 COVID-19 cases. Australia has seen, uh, or pardon me, Australia has seen 20, 28,000. Uh, Canada has seen 473,000, right? Um, Australia, 908 Australians have died from COVID-19. Uh, 13,627 Canadians have died. So, so what's the difference? We were curious. We wanted to know what's the difference in perspective. How has Australia approached this versus Canada? Oh, oh and yeah, of course, we did want to ask about the cookie incident 10 years later. So we connected with Dr. Stephen Duckett yesterday, and we wanted to bring you some of that interview. We wanted to bring you a portion of it. And so, so, so here's, here's how the interview starts. Uh, we ask him how he's doing. We ask him about the outlook. And, and he just, uh, you know, as, as Alberta's locking down, nobody's going to be able to see their family for the holidays. You, you don't get to see grandma. Grandma doesn't get to see her new grandson. You don't get to see your parents. Um, here's what it's like in Australia. So, Ryan, I don't want to gloat and rub it all into you, but uh, I had 14 people for dinner at my house last night. Wow. 14. And we cooked Atlantic salmon, as a matter of fact. But that's what we can do now. We have eliminated the virus from a uh, community transmission of the virus from Melbourne, where I live. There are still some cases in hotel quarantine. Uh, that, so we have arrivals into, into Melbourne now and the people are isolated for, for two weeks. Um, and, but the rest of us, uh, life is returning, returning to normal. I don't have to wear a mask outside anymore, for example. I can, I'm, I'm not restricted in my movements anymore, essentially. Um, I go to a restaurant and I, they can't accommodate as many people as they used to because of density limits. And so we, we uh, had a, a lockdown that lasts 110 days here in Melbourne. Um, the government stuffed up the hotel quarantine program and virus got out into the community. And that was, um, you know, the community was essentially really angry about that but they then the government said we are going to try and tackle this we're going to get rid of this virus and they did and we lasted for 110 days very strong community support the premier was in front of the media every day at 11 o'clock in the morning telling how many cases that day how many deaths that day and 
there might have been a little snippet of news of some kind, but basically building support, building community support. You know, during that lockdown period, I was allowed outside for exercise one hour a day. Only one of us could go shopping. I could go to medical appointments, but more or less, I could go, and, but more or less everything else was closed and take away delivery of meals and so on. So it was pretty tough lockdown, pretty long, 110 days, when the, uh, the, the targets were pretty clear. We had to be, uh, there could be easing of some restrictions if the 14 day average got, about, got below a certain amount. And then when it got to zero, basically major lifting of restrictions. And so everybody was actually focused on this number. Uh, when we could uh, when we could have have more freedom, and the day the premier announced the number was we could have lifting restrictions, you know, cars were tooting their horns, flashing their lights, and yeah. you know, just just lovely. So a 110 day lockdown that obviously meant that uh, you know Dr. Stephen Duckett had 14 people over for Atlantic Salmon the other night. It's hard to imagine. We asked them about the vaccination plan and, and how do you maintain the trend i mean you know COVID has this nasty habit as pandemics do of resurfacing right i mean in alberta actually we thought we were doing pretty good didn't we back in back in you know i mean when the nhl bubble was here in our town we were taking a look at the numbers everybody's going personal responsibilities working and then whammo there it is back again so how are they going to prevent that how are what's their vaccination strategy how are they approaching it down under million people in Australia, uh, it's going to take, even if everybody desperately wanted to be vaccinated tomorrow, it's just going to take a long time to manufacture the vaccine and to roll it out across the whole country. So there's a there's a logistic exercise which will take a while to, to roll out. Some of the vaccines we know you've got to be cautious about people with asthma, for example. So, so you know, we're not going to get 100% of the people vaccinated on the 1st of March, for example. So it's going to be a, a slow process, even with the best management and logistics in the world. Secondly, uh, the, the vaccines don't have 100% efficacy. And so there's always going to be um, uh, risks associated with that. And of course, we've got people who may not want to be vaccinated for some reason. So, you know, so getting to herd immunity may be a bit tricky. Uh, and so we're going to have to um, watch ourselves uh, and monitor carefully all the time. And that means um, we, we still have people coming into the country. Uh, we still have quarantine and there can be breaches of quarantine. There will be breaches of quarantine. These are human systems and so things will go wrong. So we've got to have both passive monitoring through sewage monitoring. We've got to have uh, testing continuing. The, the rate of testing has declined a lot in Australia at the moment. It was up to, in this state, which is roughly the same population Alberta, about 15,000 tests a day. It's now down to about 5,000 tests a day. So we've, we've, we've backslid a bit there. So we've, you know, we've got to um, keep, our, keep our vigilance. We've got to keep our vigilance. So that's the reality there. Uh, by the way, uh, the first Albertan to receive the vaccine, a respiratory therapist yesterday at the University of Alberta. We believe tomorrow we, we may be speaking with a respiratory therapist that's received the vaccine. But, but again, this is something I never used to do on the previous show uh, is, is talk a lot about interviews we're hoping to get. Because uh, if you never get them, 
then people kind of go, well, you, it's easy to talk big game about the interviews you think you're going to get. Show us the interviews you do get. Uh, we're expecting that conversation tomorrow. Um, I don't know what, what, what you expect. with When you talk to somebody about it, when you interview someone about receiving the vaccine, obviously the line of question, you know, what was it like to be first? Uh, did you have any hesitations? What's the? Why are you doing this interview? What are you hoping that people realize? What are you hoping that people think about? But really, there's not... You know, so how was it? Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was what it was. Not a big deal. It's kind of it is what it is. I mean, that's kind of like every other vaccine like I've every, received. It was like a little poke other, in the arm and then like, it's done. You know, it's like every other. Have you seen the video? We should get this video, the video of the doctor. I think he's down in the States that's like vaccinating the little baby. And he's like singing and dancing in the ne needle. And he first of all, he has like a stuffy in his hand. He doesn't like have the needle waving at the kid. He's like got a stuffy, stuffy. And little baby's like cooing and like, oh. And then the doctor like slides out the stuff. He picks up the and he sings and sings and boom, vaccinates and out. And then he keeps singing. And the kids, the kids like, we'll I'll find the video. The kids like six months old, probably just sitting there and smiling through the whole thing. I was like, that guy. <laughs> That's fantastic. That guy needs to be vaccinating everybody. So of course we asked Doctor Duckett about the cookie incident, right? Ten years later, where's your head at with regards to to what happened, right? You you walk out of this meeting. You wave a cookie in Laura Tupper, the reporter's face. You, you, you sort of snidely walk past everybody. You refuse to do the interview. Ten years, you know, you get canned, right? You lose a, a, a fabulous job, although it comes with a lot of public criticism, but still pretty fabulous. Um, so ten years after the fact, where's your head at? And I'm, to be honest, uh, Dr. Duckett was, was delightful through the interview, he was candid. He was fun. He's so I, I wasn't expecting him to kind of morph into, but I wasn't expecting how he answered the question. Ten years later, where's your head at? Yeah, I made a mistake. So yeah, that's life. Um, as it turned out, there it is. Um, uh, I should have, I should have had a different way of saying no. Um, the, you know, as, as you said, I was instructed by the Premier's office not to make any comment whatsoever. Um, we'd organised for another colleague of mine to comment to the media, and I should have been a bit better at uh, telling the media I'm not going to comment. Yeah. So I made a mistake. Yeah. He says, eh, I made a mistake. I should have done a better job of saying no. I made a mistake. And I'm sitting there yesterday... And I'm thinking, can you imagine if me, and don't get defensive, but you, so, but, may, but maybe you're one of these people that always does everything right. Maybe you're, I know a few of these people, calm, measured. They just handle everything, take everything in stride. They never say things they regret. That's not me. <laughs> I'm a bit of a, if you know me, per, I'm passionate. My highs are high. My lows are low. If I'm pissed, I'm pissed. If I'm thrilled, I am thrilled. And then I've had to learn over the years to walk back things I've said, and I've had to learn to apologize, and I've had to learn to not hurt the people that I love the most, and I've had to learn humility. And I, some of you will say, well, you're still keep working on that, Jespo. Dr. Duckett yesterday, eh, I made a mistake. Can you imagine if more executives, more public people, can you imagine if more politicians could look you in the eye by way of a camera lens and say, I screwed up. I should have done better. And I will do better. Just 
sucks the oxygen out of some room, you know. And I just yesterday, <laughs> I was expecting some big, long answer about what. And no, he goes, eh, I made a mistake. Something to think about today. That was Dr. Stephen Duckett with us yesterday. We're going to talk to Professor Trudeau Lemons out of the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law coming up in a few moments. We'll talk about medical assistance in dying Bill C-7. Uh, the Senate, a lot of people are expecting that this is going to be sent back to MPs with some pretty big changes. And we're going to find out why Professor Lemons is concerned, if he's concerned, and if so, why. First, let's say a big thank you right now to the team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. We're really excited to, I've been telling you this because they deserve the credit. We like to recognize people when they deserve it. St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge has been on board as a sponsor of Real Talk before Real Talk was taking sponsors. That's how much we value this partnership. And it, in big part is because I can say to you right now, if you're looking for Alberta's best selection of Jeeps, if Jeep is your thing, if you keep seeing what this brand is doing with regards to, I mean, those Wranglers are unbelievable. Everybody's excited about these Grand Wagoneers coming out next year. Maybe you want to get your hands on a Grand Cherokee like I'm driving right now. There's no better selection and no better service by far in Alberta than St. Albert Dodge and Sherwood Dodge. So go see Scott and his team there if you're looking to upgrade your ride in time for another big dump of snow, which may be coming as early as today, depending on where in Western Canada you're tuned in from right now. Out east, I think I can say, you know, we're, we're growing, we're watching our, our, our web hits and our subscriber base rising in Ontario day by day. I'm confident in saying I think Sherwood or St. Albert Dodge would be more than happy to ship one out there for you. I haven't checked with them on this, but I suspect that they would welcome your business in Eastern Canada. Oh, well, undoubtedly. Fun. Why wouldn't they? You, you, you can you can just put a car on a train and send it over there, right? Yeah, you That's can how do it that. works. That's simple. Or if nothing else, you and I will drive it out there for them and we'll just do oh, episodes. I like that we'll idea. We'll do episodes of Real Talk on the way. We'll do the Real Talk road trip. I'm going to have to go talk to them at Sherwood Dodge. The I was real, just thinking. The Real Talk road trip. Mm. Mm. We'll just take that seed and plant it. It's it's like we might have talked about this before. It, well, hey, let's not pull back the curtain too far. <laughs> let's not tell everybody that we're planning on wrapping a tour bus and going from Victoria to Prince Edward Island next year. Let's not tell that to everybody before we're ready, Sam. We're going to be known for announcing things way too early. This is what we're going to be known for. Uh, okay, back on track. Back on track. Friesen Brothers, right now. They've got 14 Alberta locations, but they're soon to open their 15th just off the Anthony Henday Rabbit Hill Road right here in Edmonton. The store is going to blow your mind. And I can say that because I have walked the halls with proper PPE. They're doing the finishing construction in there right now. It looks incredible. Like I said earlier, this is not from Friesen Brothers. This is, they did not ask me to say this, but if I owned another grocery store in South Edmonton, I'd be sh I'd enjoy it while it lasts. That's all I'm saying. If you own another grocery store, enjoy the customers while they last because Friesen Brothers is about to take them all. Probably in part because they've got Red Seal chefs that can hook you up if you don't feel like doing the work. You want the turkey. You want you want everything prepped this holiday season. Friesen Brothers has you covered. All right, before we get to Professor Lemons. Let's take a look at the headlines, Sam. All right, because I'm keeping it real, I'm going to tell you what I just did. Um, I closed my headlines window, and it was not saved, which means I no longer have my headlines in front of me, but that's totally fine. Uh, because off the top of my head, basically, uh, we know that yesterday a respiratory therapist was the first in Alberta to receive a vaccination out of the University of Alberta. 
uh, University of Alberta Hospital. It was Sara Kahie uh, who says, uh, I felt honored and grateful to be part of the entire experience. Said when I woke up this morning, I wasn't expecting to be the first person in Alberta to get the injection. Says it felt like a an historic moment. Uh, said it was like getting any other shot, but unlike when she gets the flu vaccine, she did not feel any heaviness, numbness, or pain in her arm. And because my rewritten headlines are gone, I'll credit Lauren Boothby and Anna Junker from the Edmonton Journal. I'm reading their report here. Also, this Canadian, high-profile Canadian, for all the wrong reasons, arrested yesterday Peter Nygaard, a Canadian fashion designer now being held in a Winnipeg jail. Uh, he's being charged with uh, several counts of uh, sex trafficking and other charges. Uh, his lawyer insists that he's innocent. The charges date back in some cases decades uh, and more recently a number of different countries where it is alleged that Mr. Nygaard trafficked uh, sex workers uh, in some cases uh, utilizing drugs to have those uh, human beings submit to his wishes as one of the warrants read yesterday that's peter nygaard and we'll follow that story uh as it develops uh yeesh um th that's i don't know if you've been following that peter nygaard story though but there was talk about that a long time even through that through the uh, there was a, the there was a whole movement. fifth estate uh series was a, on him too right yeah, yeah. There was a, like this this was kind of one of those stories where people are like what about that guy like when's that guy getting arrested and he had always maintained and to this date still maintains his innocence I think he's in his 80s now, Peter Nygaard is. Uh, as mentioned, being held in the Winnipeg jail, and you expect he'll be extradited. Um, all right. Are we set to go with uh, Professor Lemons? Not quite yet. Okay. You uh, need another headline. I've got one. Yeah. Okay, sure. Can sure. I break some news? Uh, absolutely. All right. CBC reporting literally half an hour ago, Canada sending an astronaut to the moon. Oh, this is that Lunar Gateway mission. Yeah, so they're they're establishing. Um, I guess the U.S. is uh, is establishing a base on the moon around 2023 that they're going to use for experimentation on a on a future manned trip to Mars. And they've uh, they've signed an agreement with Canada that there will be a Canadian in the mission to the moon in 2023. Very cool. So I wonder if that means if you're part of the mission to the moon. Um, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm just making a point. Everybody knows the name Neil Armstrong. And then most people, I mean, everybody kind of knows the name Buzz Aldrin, right? Buzz is kind of the wild, Buzz is, like, have you seen the, have you seen the video where some guy walks up to Buzz Aldrin at some event he was at? And he basically says that the moon landing was, he says, he's like, you're a liar. Buzz Aldrin at the time, I think that this happened, was like 70 years old. Here's what we need. Here's why we need, we need like 200 more of you to sign up for our Patreon. Uh, because if you go to ryanjesperson.com and commit like five bucks a month just to show us that you want to join this journey, if about 200 more of you did that, we, we, what we'll do is we'll get a Chase producer that will join us here in studio and, and they can call up these videos in real time. Because right now Sam's got his hands full and, you know, I'm running my mouth. And uh, basically, we, we could get these videos for you in real time. But, but this guy walks up to Buzz Aldrin, and he's like, you're a liar. The moon landing was fake. And Aldrin just, bam, like right in the nose. <laughs> like if kids are watching right now, that's not how we want to conduct ourselves. But it was great. Like it was one of these situations where it's like, you know, you, you encounter these folks. Like, like, uh. You know, I used to have to be careful about saying stuff like this on the radio because it would bring the crazies out of the deep corners of the carpet. But it's like, you know, the people about like chemtrails or like, you know, 5G, um, you know, Pizzagate, like these, these sort of, you know, the moon landing is fake, like all this type of stuff. And you, you're like, I'm not going to, that's not, I'm not, 
no, I'm not getting into it. And then sometimes you'll engage and be like, well, actually, I mean, the moon landing, actually, if, you know, if you pay, you know, Buzz Aldrin doesn't have time for that. He did not have time for this guy, and he smoked him right in the mouth. But the point is to say, you've got Neil Armstrong, you've got Buzz Aldrin, but, but what was the name of the fella that stayed on the spacecraft the whole time? Is this a trivia question? Because I actually don't know. I, I at one time remembered the three crew members of, of the Apollo 11 mission, and, and I don't have it off the top I, of my head. I, I, I would, I'm, I'm taking a look here at our uh, live chat. Um, <laughs> Greg Wolfton's watching. He says, we need, we need Buzz Aldrin at the anti-mask rallies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now someone's going to say, oh, you know, use the hashtag. Oh, Jesperson and Sam are advocating for punching anti-maskers in the nose. No, we're not. Michael Collins was the third astronaut on the Apollo 11 crew. Okay, so there you have it, Michael Collins. So, but but so you wonder if the Canadian like are they are they are they going to be walking on the moon? It says they're going to orbit the moon, right? David Saint Jacques is the Canadian astronaut will orbit the moon, um, which, you know. Okay, we, we, are we going to wax? Let me know when Professor Lemons is here. Oh, he's good to go. Oh, well, geez, what am I doing talking about Apollo? 11, uh, to be the moon fair, landing? in the middle of moon talk is when he logged in. So, okay. uh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I'm like, well, good thing I didn't start going off on a tangent about where what, where I would like to see space travel go because right now, like, they're orbiting the moon. Okay, fine, but like, didn't we do that in the '60s? Anyway, I don't even know what I'm talking about, so don't listen to me. But aren't we supposed to be? We're supposed to be orbiting like other galaxies now, aren't we? What do we, aren't we supposed to be, aren't we supposed to be able to go on like our summer vacation to Mars by now? What's going on? What's with the whole, come on, what's with the holdup? Let's go. Let's get serious. No, I actually, this is serious and I'm not, you know, we can, this is what we would call a hard transition. Um, right now in Canada, there's a lot of talk around medical assistance and dying. It's been about four years uh, since options were opened for people living uh, in, in chronic pain with chronic disease, there were obviously a number of criteria. We'll get into this with our expert guest. If you wanted to consider medical assistance in dying, some people call it dying with dignity. Four years ago, Canadian legislation changed to allow for it. Well, right now, uh, the Canadian Senate is taking a look at Bill C-7. And it's raising some concerns and some are suggesting that this may need to be walked back as senators are likely to propose major amendments to the assisted dying bill. Somebody keeping a keen eye on this is Professor Trudeau Lemons. Uh, he's the Scholl Chair in Health Law and Policy at the Faculty of Law, the Joint Center for Bioethics and the Dalla School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Professor Lemons was a member of the Council of Canadian Academics. They call it the CCA, their expert panel on medical assistance in dying. He's an expert witness for the federal attorney general in Quebec's Truchon case, and he testified before Parliament on the current law as well as Bill C-7. Uh, Professor, it is a great pleasure to have you join us on the show this morning. Welcome to Real Talk, and thank you for making time for us. My pleasure. When you take a look at, at Bill C-7, and as we talk about now what the Canadian Senate is likely to send back uh, to Parliament, can you bring us up to speed on, on what's changing or what's proposed to be changed as opposed to what was legalized four years ago? 
Yeah, so let's start with uh, what was legalized. Um, four years ago, we had a bill which responded to a Supreme Court uh, case in Carter, uh, which uh, legalized medical assistance in dying, which uh, contains uh, two components or offers two options for uh, medically uh, assisted dead at the end of life, uh, namely physician-induced uh, dying and um, uh, physician-assisted suicide. So in other countries, this has been called, uh, on the one hand, euthanasia, when the doctor, um, uh, in, when, when it's doctor-induced uh, dying, uh, when it uh, is, involves the prescription of medication that the patient takes him or herself, it's assist suicide. So these two have been lumped together in, in our system as uh, under the term medical assistance in dying. The law, as it was introduced um, uh, four years ago, uh, restricted or, or basically focused this, this uh, provision or this um, procedure to end-of-life circumstances broadly conceived. Uh, the law specifies that people can only have medical assistance in dying when their death is reasonably foreseeable, a very vague, lofty term, but it basically means the end-of-life context. Uh, now, from the beginning, people have, some people have objected to that. Um, the advocacy group uh, Dying with Dignity um, objected to that firmly. They argued that medical assistance and dying should be available much more broadly, even outside of the end-of-life context. And um, two people in Quebec and one person in, in BC went to court, uh, arguing that their death was not reasonably foreseeable or that they were not close to the end of their life and they wanted to have the assurance that they could have access to, to the procedure. And a Quebec lower court agreed with that and um, argued that the, that the restriction to reasonable foreseeable death or the end of life context was unconstitutional uh, as, a, as a violation of the um, right to security of the person and, um, and right to liberty and also discriminatory. And so the uh, government uh, just introduced now Bill uh, C-7 which basically expands medical aid and dying outside of the end of life context, but also, um, and this is not required by, by the Touchon decision uh, in Quebec, uh, also uh, abolishes certain safeguards that were deemed to be uh, too burdensome for people who apply to medical assistance and die. This is, uh, and it, it's interesting when any legislation goes to the Senate because you have partisan senators, you have independent senators, and in this circumstance with C7, based on what I've been reading, there are senators that believe that it goes too far, the legislation, and some believe that it doesn't go far enough. Now, when we talk about a reasonably foreseeable death, why would it be important for somebody advocating against somebody fighting this legislation, somebody that does not want to see that removed? What would the argument be? I suppose it's a moral or ethical argument that this politician or this senator uh, would believe that ethically uh, it is inappropriate to grant someone access to a doctor-assisted death if their death is not reasonably foreseeable. I can see others arguing quite strongly that that's not the politician's decision. That should be the person's decision. Can you take us into where you land on that debate? Yes. 
So I think there are uh, a couple of positions on medical systems and dialing. There are people who think it should never be allowed because it transgresses basically a prohibition, which exists, I must say, in most countries around the world, that physicians should not and be involved in the direct ending of the life of their patients. Um, there are other people who say, well, um, uh, certainly based on the Carter decision as well, and based on the acceptance that for some people, controlling the manner and the timing of their death, the manner namely having some phys physician assisting in ending the life of, of, of in, in ending your life is important. So some people say, we accept that, that for some people it's so important that, uh, that the manner and timing of their death uh, can be controlled, but it should be restricted to what it was originally uh, certainly claimed, claimed for to be important, namely uh, uh, helping people to trans transition between um, uh, life and death. So when they're close to the end of their life, uh, suffering is intense or they feel that basically the, the dragging on of the, of the dying process is, is burdensome, um, uh, so it should be available in those circumstances. Um, and then there are people who are arguing, well, medical assistance in dying should be a form of therapy and should be available to people who feel that they're suffering intolerably and that nothing that uh, society can offer, nothing that medicine can offer will satisfy them. Um, so I belong to the camp of those who argue we have a bill in place. It allows already in a broad set of circumstances uh, people to obtain uh, medical assistance in dying. And so not just people who are in the dying process, but even people who are simply uh, approaching death because of the because of a chronic illness and, and, and because of the suffering associated with it. Um, so I think this is why medical assistance in dying was originally claimed to be important. And this is this can arguably be seen as well a reasonable option when um, that medicine where medicine can provide support in the sense that people are in the dying process anyway um, and they may uh, they have no other medical options left and it helps them uh, to uh, obtain a more peaceful death. Um, when we go outside of the end of life context, we're basically suggesting that, med that physicians uh, should be involved in ending the life of, of people who may have years or decades uh, of life. Importantly, also in Bill C-7 that is currently proposed, there is no requirement, for example, that, that all other medical or social support options or all uh, psychological options be exhausted. So in other words, patients can refuse um, the, the options that uh, physicians, uh, social workers, um, nurses can offer to the patient to help them relieve their suffering. And they can still say, well, I, I don't want to have anything that medicine normally provides to me, but you still have as a, as a physician and as a nurse or as a society, society basically support active ending of my life. So basically you have to support me in, in, um, in my, my uh, suicide. And that I think for many people is, is troublesome, particularly also because Bill C-7 doesn't say just in general, everybody outside of the end of life should have access to this procedure. No, it says people who have a chronic illness or a disability. So only you, people with chronic illness and disability, indeed rightly should claim that you um, um, uh, have a, uh, should be able to have access to, to, medical, to, to a medically assisted death. Uh, so people with disabilities and chronic illness are targeted or basically uh, uh, send the message 
that we as a society understand and think it's appropriate that they, but only they, will have access to, um, to a societal organized and medically provided debt, uh, even if they, when they have years or decades to, to, to live. I, I, I hope that this is not a uh, crass comparison, uh, but w- when it comes to, to matters of, of ethics and law, that intersection, uh, there, are, there are legislated options to people, and then there are options that people may seek out in most circumstances tragically uh, and with great risk uh, if legislation does not provide them options. And I can think of two, and I, and I hesitate to group them together, but when you talk about uh, medically-assisted abortion, when you talk about medically-assisted death or medically assisted suicide which i know is not the preferred term but i want to be clear i'm differentiating between the two here you could quite rightfully suggest that if you don't have doctor assisted abortion women will find other ways to have an abortion and in many circumstances the physical trauma that they will undergo and the damage that could occur and the lack of dignity for that matter is significant. With medically assisted dying or medical assisted suicide, you can say the same thing. There are people, and there have been people through history, that are determined to leave their pain behind forever. So whether or not doctors are available to them, they will find a way to die. And I would suggest that that would lack dignity, it would create potentially more problems and would be much more traumatic and in some cases would involve family members putting themselves in a very difficult position. In other words, assisting their loved one without a doctor yeah, present. I understand. Is I understand, this... Yeah. I understand the comparison. I think the comparison is, uh, is uh, not right. Uh, there is often a comparison made with abortion. I actually think that a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric is used. Oh, if somebody is has a problem with the with the broad expansion of medical assistance and dying as a form of therapy, uh, they're anti-choice. Now, this is the kind of the rhetoric that is being used. I'm not saying you say that, but it's it's often used. Oh, if you are against medical assistance and dying, it, it it it's like the abortion rhetoric. I think the circumstances here are very different. We're talking about uh, the person who um, will. Uh, many people who will survive if we have restrictions in place against against uh, or if we have prevention measures for against suicide if we uh, make sure that all the measures in support of life are being provided uh, we will prevent people from dying in the context of abortion you're talking about the fact that we actually uh, prohibit a practice which um, leads to women dying <laughs> You see, you see the, 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 how, how, how difficult the comparison really is, because here we're talking about the importance of trying to prevent that people die and the importance of focusing on giving people a life with dignity. And so the concern that people have with an expanded system of medical assistance in dying uh, is, is that uh, people who will uh, continue to live for, for years or decades will now be induced in ending their life prematurely. And I'll give you the concrete example. People with catastrophic illnesses, uh, catastrophic uh, accidents, for example, who become paraplegic, we know from the evidence 
that the suicidal ideation, so the tendency to commit suicide among these people is so much higher uh, up to one, two years after their accident. But eventually they turn things around and they actually have the same quality of life. I mean, with the challenges that it, that it obviously creates, but they have quality of life, they have meaningful lives. So I think the abortion comparison is only goes so far because we're dealing there with, with the need to prevent women from dying in horrible abortions, street, uh, backstreet abortions. Here we're talking about the need to preserve people's lives, the same people who actually uh, may, because of the circumstances, be tempted um, uh, to ask for medical assistance in dying because they don't have adequate social support, because they don't have disability support, because they don't have access to uh, a normal treatment. I'll simply also mention this. Uh, it's for many people who, will, who are troubled by the expansion of the legislation outside of the end of life context. Uh, for us, it's remarkable that this is so heavily pushed as being a priority that we make sure that the federal government and the, the provincial governments actually what the federal government imposes coverage for medical assistance and dying across the country, but that we still don't have an, a, a universal pharma care program, that we don't have coverage for often life-saving drugs outside of the, of the hospital context. So there is something, something um, troubling in the priority that is being uh, given here in, in this bill, and particularly also the speed by which uh, this piece of legislation is being pushed forward in a uh, with, with all this, it's, it's difficult components that we can't address here in all of its details, but I'm, I'm happy to answer any other questions about the challenges that we see here in this particular bill. Well, yes, and, and I have many questions for you. Uh, we're talking to Professor Trudeau Lemons, a, a, a faculty of law professor, uh, an expert in bioethics out of the University of Toronto. Uh, professor, the conversation underway among our audience members is remarkable and insightful, and, and I really appreciate it. Uh, Turbo Annie is watching this morning on YouTube, and, and she's asking if we could discuss the application or the context of mental illness uh, with regards to medical assistance in dying. Are you confident that Canadian legislation is adequate in the context of mental illness? Well, here you're touching on one of the controversial components of the bill. The bill expands outside of the end-of-life context. Many people, including myself, think that it's that the expansion and the focus on facilitating the death of people with disability and chronic illness is discriminatory towards them because it, it makes it easier for them. It deprives them of the protection that we normally see in the legislation, which is a protection uh, of only offering made to the end-of-life context. But the bill also is controversial uh, for other people because it excludes mental illness from uh, the expansion of the law. Now, Minister Lametti has already indicated that this will be discussed in a further review of the legislation. He seems to be inclined indirectly that, uh, by DID to, to think that the medical illness should be an option or should be a reason for which people could ask for access to medical assistance and die. Um, uh, I support the exclusion of mental illness, but because I also exclude, uh, also support already the fact that it shouldn't go beyond the end of life context. Why am I concerned that there are specific reasons to exclude mental illness? 
mental illness uh, has, is complex for, for a number of reasons. In other forms of illness, we can clearly identify um, diagnoses are never 100% sure, but we can clearly identify there are measures to establish whether somebody is likely to um, uh, get better or will likely be able to cope with the illness or will, will likely die in the, in the near future. In the context of mental illness, there is fundamental uncertainty about the, about the prognosis. Um, uh, reliable tests to determine who will get better and who, who won't get better uh, don't exist in the context of mental health. Uh, so we have there a, a difficulty that we will establish access, um, uh, give ac people access who suffer from a very debilitating, very serious il illness. And there's no doubt about that, that these illnesses do create enormous suffering, uh, certainly as significant as physical suffering. But what we will be doing there, if we would offer medical illness and dying to people only on the basis of mental health, um, they have access actually already if they have another form of illness which, which qualifies under the bill. But if we offer that to people with mental illness, we're offering it to people uh, of whom we don't actually know whether they will get better or not. And we know that the majority of people with mental illness with adequate mental health services will get better and, and will recover. Of those people who won't get better, we actually don't know who they are. We cannot predict in an individual basis if somebody will get better or not. So we're basically giving up on people uh, in a very complex context also where mental illness is often associated with um, suicidal ideation, with the desire to die. So the desire to die is part of the reason, uh, part of the, of, the, of the illness that we're trying to treat, that we're trying um, to help people with. So we would offer here basically uh, a remedy, which is the, 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 the end of the person's life, a remedy uh, for, um, um, for, their, for their suffering, where when they actually, their desire to die is part of the illness that we're trying to, to fight. You are without, and, um, no, please go ahead. Yeah, no, so, so I, I think in the context of mental illness, we know that there are very significant wait times in the country. We are struggling with the mental health services in the country. Um, we have in the context of the pandemic already seen that there is increased anxiety, increased uh, mental health challenges that people face. Um, so I think it would be particularly unwise, even, even also for other illnesses, but it would be particularly unwise to start promoting more broadly access to life-ending measures when we really have to ramp up our support and make sure that people have access to a uh, life with dignity uh, and, and adequate support to get better. Uh, Professor, I want to read some of the comments here. Uh, you know, uh, April says my Baba opted to stop treatment and essentially ended her life through medical assistance. We were so blessed that she was able to make that decision herself. Um, uh, another says, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate this is an interesting comment. Uh, listener says, you know, doctors, this is Mr. Cynic, says doctors take an oath to do no harm, but keeping someone alive when they are in constant, unrelenting pain is doing harm. And he says, if physicians don't assist, people will find a way to do it on their own, perhaps incriminating their friends. Sharon this morning says, I had a family member that that uh, utilized medical assistance in dying this year. She was able to make her choice and leave in dignity, but she had to go to a different room in the hospital that was set aside 
just for that. Jackie's listening in on Twitter. The hashtag RealTalkRJ says my uncle in his 80s uh, chose medical assistance in dying when his heart failure was to the point that treatment was no longer viable. He chose the terms. His sons were with him. My cousins said it was a peaceful death. Doctor, one thing that you haven't you haven't specifically identified palliative care, but you are making a, a strong argument for a better investment in palliative care. Correct? Yes, I, I would say our priority should always be, in my view, and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that we frequently invoke actually obliges the state to indeed to provide uh, protection uh, in life. The right to life is an important value that is also protected through the Charter. So I would say, yes, for many people, medical assistance in dying is important, but let's make sure that we certainly have adequate uh, uh, adequate support in place for for dignity in life. And um, I would say for the comments that I, from the comments that I heard, again, the, the people who are talking about the value of medical assistance in dying, um, that's currently possible within the current system that we have. What we're talking about is a very different situation. So, so we have to be careful that people, when people like me and others express concern about the expansion of medical assistance in dying, uh, that we're not lumping every, everything together as, oh, people are against uh, the relief of people suffering, or people are in favor of doctors prolonging, uh, artificially prolonging the life of patients. I would say absolutely not. So um, I want to simply put that out there in response to some of the valuable comments of the people who share their experience, their positive experience of experiences with medical assistance and dying. But to come back to your point, yes, um, uh, I strongly think that we need to make sure that we have access to all other uh, medical uh, options to relieve our suffering in the first place. And then, and then um, as the Supreme Court also emphasized in its Carter decision, uh, medical assistance in dying is not not just a standard form of therapy. It's basically it, it really is a last resort when uh, we don't have other options left. With respect to palliative care, um, it's interesting to mention that yes, uh, palliative care has been improving uh, gradually uh, over the last couple of years, uh, last couple of decades. But still, many people don't have access to adequate palliative care. Um, uh, whether all of the people who apply for medical assistance in dying uh, have access to palliative care or at least had the option of palliative care is still being debated. Uh, the Health Canada report on uh, the um, on the 5,000 uh, and, so, and so much deaths that we had, for example, in uh, 2019, indicate that 80% of them had access to some form of palliative care. Uh, there, are, there are other reports in the medical literature now that suggest that the that the rate may actually be lower. Uh, we have to keep in mind that um, uh, that the data, the, the data with respect to medical assistance in dying is self-reported. So whether it's 80 or 60, 60% 60 is another number that has been put forward. We still see that there are a significant number of people who don't have access to palliative care or didn't have adequate palliative care provided prior to deciding on medical assistance in dying. So I think that can be improved. Um, I would also say we want to make sure that we know sufficiently what is actually going on in the um, quite significant number of people who have obtained medical assistance in dying in the country. The data that we are receiving are not very deep data. So they say, they say something about, oh, there was some form of palliative care. What was the quality of that care? How much palliative care was being provided? When did that palliative care start? 
Was it months before? Was it a year before? Was it, was it just days before? So the circumstances under which we currently already apply medical assistance in dying are not so clear. We need more data to understand what's happening. Professor Trudeau-Lemons uh, is, uh, I mean, obviously uh, has an incredible depth of knowledge with regards to this, and, and we're so grateful that you've made the time to talk to us, uh, Professor. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, Professor and Schulcher in Health Law and Policy out of the Faculty of Law at the University of Toronto. Thank you so much for your time and insight today. My pleasure. Have a nice day. For those of you that are tuned in through this conversation, want to let you know we're going to leave some time a little bit later on in our show to get to your comments. Thank you for the thoughtful exchange of ideas that we're seeing here. Obviously, this is a polarizing uh, topic. Obviously, there will be differing opinions and much personal experience here, uh, unfortunately, coming into play. And we appreciate uh, what you're sharing with us uh, by way of the real talk rj hashtag on twitter and of course our live comment thread that's going on right now on youtube we're going to check in with a remarkable individual uh, in just a moment but very quickly we wanted to let you know how grateful we are to have the support of clean air club each and every morning here in the real talk studio we asked them to take a look at this studio space when we first got it and evaluate the air quality we wanted to make sure that we could breathe easy the more that we talk to them, and they gave us our own personal, customized solutions in here, they can do the same for you. And, and the big thing that they kept coming back to was furnace filters. They said, you know, people just forget about it. Some people aren't even aware you got to change the filter. I mean, for some people, it could have been years already. It's got to be several times a year, but you want to talk to them, not me about it. Here's the deal. You go to cleanairclub.ca, you sign up, and then basically they do the rest, including delivering the new filters to your front door so you don't ever have to worry about it cleanairclub.ca so you and your family can breathe easy we're also so grateful to the team at westworld computers for keeping us on the air each and every morning we've we basically got the lineup here i've got my iphone we got the ipad we got the macbook pro and the imac and they're keeping us bringing you real talking each and every morning just like they've done for so many businesses and so many households in western canada for more than 40 years family-owned family-operated Westworld Computers wants your business, and we're grateful for theirs. You can find more under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. All right. I'm so excited that this appears to be working out. John Mark Earl is a legendary human being, and you're about to see why. If you don't recognize the name, you're never going to forget it after these next 10 minutes or so. Let's bring him in live. Today is the one-year anniversary, my understanding, of the very first time that John took a plunge, so to speak. You know, I'm, I'm going to bring him in right now. You're going to be able to hear him, but I'm still trying to get his video sorted out. He was on, and then he froze, and now it's now it's okay. looking very black. Well, so it, it, we're it, working on it. It might be because he's in frigid temperatures, and my understanding is he's right on the ice. Sam, there's no rush. Just You know, you just let us know when you're ready to bring him in the minute we've got video, and we'll welcome John to the show. Uh, just bring his pot down for now. Yeah, there you go. Um, why don't we get to some of your comments here uh, on the YouTube thread about what you heard from Professor Trudeau-Lemons, and we'll get to John Mark Earl in just a moment. Um, this, this I understand, is a polarizing uh, topic. Don is watching this morning. He says, you know, a friend of mine in British Columbia uh, with brain tumors has been on the list uh, for medical assistance in dying for years. He's quickly deteriorating, and his 78-year-old mom is overwhelmed. Uh, Don says, last time we spoke... He said that it may be time. Uh, 
Others of you uh, writing in on your oh geez, this is I'm going to read this one. This is a this is a this is a, an interesting comment, kind of out of left field, but but you know it represents. We want people to have a voice on this program. Your perspective is not you know whether or not you feel like your perspective is of value on other radio programs. Maybe you've never heard your comments read, or maybe nobody seems to pay attention to what you have to say. Real talk can be your home for that. And Two Beaver is watching this morning and says, hey, if First Nations people want assisted death, we just call for a wellness check from the RCMP. How's that for something to talk about? Uh, Penny is watching this morning and says, I have a plan in place, and I have discussed it often with my children. It's documented in many places. Penny says, I will not allow a politician, my conservative member of parliament, to make these decisions for me. I'm grateful to know that our good friend Julie Rohr is watching the program this morning. You remember Julie was with us, uh, what you know, our first week on the air, telling her remarkable story. Julie's one. Of, I've, I've said to Julie, in my opinion, her portrait needs to be painted as a mural on the side of a building in Edmonton because there's something about her smile, her perspective, and I know it resonated with so many of you. Julie's fighting a very rare form of cancer. She has been for the last five years, and she tweets at us uh, with the hashtag RealTalkRJ. She says, as someone who lives with ongoing disease and who has to think about my own mortality on a regular basis, I appreciate the discussions around medical assistance in dying. She says, thank you, Jespo, for having Trudeau Lemons to talk about Bill C-7. This is an important discussion. Julie, thanks so much for tuning in, and, and we're always looking for your perspective on this show. Thanks very much. All right, it sounds like we've got John Markerl ready to go, audio, video, all lined up. Let's bring him in here. John, welcome to Real Talk, my man. I'm so excited that this is working out. Thanks for joining us. Me too. Thank you so much for having me on here. Okay, you are a you are a wild animal, and that is a total compliment. Um, why don't you paint a picture for us of where you are and what you're about to do, and why this <laughs> why is this morning so significant? Well, it is uh, minus twenty six wind chill right now. Uh, it's been snowing here for days. I do have a little fire uh, kindling in front of me, but. I'm in a few minutes going to be going out into the river. Um, it's been steadily freezing out further and further from the shore over the last few days. There's been some big uh, ice flows going through. So it's uh, it's been uh, a steady increase of cold here, and we're just bracing ourselves for it. John, are you in Peace River right now, or where are you exactly? Yeah, I'm in Peace River, and just right on the side of the river across from the town. Okay, so you so today is the one year anniversary, correct? If I understand, on 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 the first time, yeah. first time you did this, and have you have you literally logged three hundred? What do you call them? Polar bear swims, or what? Do you, whatever you call them, have you <laughs> have you logged three hundred and sixty five in a row? No, I haven't. Okay, but when we set this meeting up, I I didn't realize it was actually going to be on the day that I started last year when it, it had started just as you know one day two days, three days, and then it grew into, hey, maybe I can do this for longer. And it really turned into something beyond even what I had imagined. So why do you do it, man? <laughs> yeah, I get asked that a lot. And it's um, it's because it's, it's so enlivening. Uh, with everything that we do that creates improvement in our life we have to face things that are difficult whether that's doing diets doing work working out um making change in our life and this is one of the most uncomfortable things that i do and i really reap equivalent benefits in my life and 
it's it's been such a joy for myself and then to see other people participate and come get on board and and find their own way to get involved with this Hey, John, um, I want to read a comment from Cindy, who's watching right now. How great of a compliment is this to you? She says, this is fucking crazy. I switched to the, <laughs> she says, I switched to the big screen for this. <laughs> so Cindy's off her phone and she's switched to the big screen. So we're about to see you take a plunge. Um, I feel like we should do just sort of like a bit of a sort of a small print here uh, just to, to, to divulge our, you know, to, to sort of absolve ourselves of any liabilities. Um, what do people need to know? What do you need to consider before you do something like this? What are what are some of the, the things that, that obviously are important to mention about what we're about to witness here? Well, there's a big difference between doing an ice bath in your tub with some ice cubes and doing an ice bath in a situation like this where you're dealing with extreme temperatures. Um, the wind is cold. The air is cold. And if I come out and I haven't taken the proper precautions, uh, my skin will start to freeze at these temperatures. And I'm going in a spot right now that I, I have gone many times in the past. I know what the conditions are like. I know what to expect when I go into the water. And I would not encourage anybody to do this who um, feels even a bit of reluctance about their safety. It's something that this year we've had a few incidents already where people didn't take the right precautions. Um, not with me, but trying it on their own. And they ended up with some frostbite. And that that'll really affect them, you know, for the rest of this winter. So I would encourage anybody who's interested in this, try it, but try it with somebody who's done it before and in a place that, you know, you can do it safely. Okay. So what are, what are we about to see here, John? Are we, so you're, you're going to take the plunge. I'm assuming you're not going to talk to us when you're in the water or are you going to talk to it? Can I keep asking you questions when you're in the water or no? Um, I'm going to bring you out with me into the water. Um, I'm going to just need about 10 seconds here to get into my shorts. Yeah. And then I'm actually going to go out. My son is here with me. He's going to go in the water with me too. Oh, wow. And then how long will you be in the water for? Uh, today, I think I'm only going to go in a couple of minutes. A couple um, of minutes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was thinking 10 seconds, but okay. You're going to go a couple of minutes um, and we'll talk to you in the water. And then when you get out of the water, you said you have a fire going, will you come back to the fire? Yeah, I'll come back to the fire and uh, you get to kind of see a little bit about uh, how I how I finish my process here. OK, John, uh, take it away. You have a uh, to say the least, you have a captive audience. And uh, OK, this is just give me one second here. Yeah, that I I mean, that, totally fine. You, you, you do what you need to do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is out of Peace River, Alberta. Uh, this is John Mark Earl. Uh, this is uh, the one year anniversary of the first time that he did this ice bath. You have to follow him, by the way, on Instagram at John Mark Earl. The, f the photographs, his wife uh, takes remarkable photos. Uh, absolutely beautiful. This guy is uh, an absolute Canadian legend. And his son going out with him today, too. I, met, I wonder if, you know, if you're in, in John Mark's family, if you kind of feel like you get <laughs> looped into this stuff. Roped in, so to speak. I'm I okay. His son's bathrobe is the greatest thing that that is I've the seen in a while. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. So John Mark's gonna take us out with him. How many of you are running ice baths at home right now to, to do this in solidarity <laughs> with John Mark, I wonder? I think we could probably count it on one hand. Most of us, you know, 
Most of us are in pretty comfortable situations right now. We're, get, we're getting Mark. a lot of cringy comments on the YouTube <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> yeah. People are cheering for you. Okay. I'm here with Jeremiah. This is my son. And Jeremiah is the one who had initially challenged me to go in the water uh, two years ago. So he is going to come out with me today. Um, he, I was here last night. And even since last night, the river has frozen out probably another 15 or 20 feet. Um, and so the, I don't know if you can see, but the walk out, I had to come in. I broke a little path so that I could get out to the river. Um, Jeremiah and I are just walking out right now in our bare feet. Oh, but it is, it's just about like you would expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Minus 26 is, wind chill. Yeah. I can, I can imagine. I'm just going to show you a little bit about what we're walking through right now. Jeez. Oh, this is where we had to break it out. So you've all, John Mark, you've busted this out with what, an axe to this point or a shovel? Um, I walked out in my rubber boots and I broke as much as I could. And then I was able to break the rest with an axe and push, push kind of some of the bigger chunks out. But so I broke this ice maybe uh, 15 minutes ago. And there's already a little layer that's on the top. So we're out as far as we're going to go here now. We're just going to get down in. I've never done this before with a microphone, so So you can see behind us, that's the town of Peace River. So what happens when you come into the water? is your body goes into a pretty intense reaction to it. You want to take big gasps, deep breaths, and the real aim is to get as calm as you possibly can and as fast as you can. And so even from the first minute that I sat down, uh, it was pretty intense, but my body's already started to relax a little bit. Um, can you ask, Jerem- ask, uh, ask Jeremiah how he's feeling right now? How are you feeling? <laughs> Jeremiah, uh, how you feeling? I'm feeling warm, actually. You know, it's like a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, these are the mental exercises yeah. you have to go through. So, John, so you said yeah. you, you find this place of calm uh, and you calm yourself yeah. down. And, and, and now, obviously, you're doing an interview with us, so it's a little bit of a different mental exercise for you. But, but what typically would you be doing at this point? Do you, do you start to meditate or, or how do you make your way through the couple of minutes you'll be in the water? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing, even with meditation, is the recommendation is always focus on your breath. And if you follow your breath, that's a way to quiet your mind. And being in the cold water, truthfully, is one of the fastest ways into that state that I've ever tried. And it really is just about um, being taking a, a full breath, relaxing as you breathe it out, and it really calms your whole body. And if if you don't get calm, there's no way you can last in this water. Um, it's too intense. And I don't know if you can hear behind me, there's some ice that's just jamming up. I can hear it kind of crackling behind me. Um, so I think that's about it for what I'm going to do today. Um, just because we got kind of a, a walk back through the ice, I don't want to push it too much with my feet. Yeah, no, get, ready to call get, it? Get, yeah. The, get the hell out of there. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That was it. 
Um, <laughs> there's honestly, there's nothing like that. It, it feels intense in the moment, but there is such a, uh, uh, an uplifting vibrancy that comes into your life from doing this. So anybody who's watching and is thinking about it, I would say definitely give it a try. I've got, I've got some friends that do it, that do it. I, th- I think every day, John Mark, we're close to that with an yep. ice bath in a controlled c- scenario in their home. Uh, but they do ice right. baths every day and, and they, they swear by the impact that it has on their mental and, and emotional well being. Um, yeah. Obviously, you push yourself yeah. to a point of great discomfort, though. Yeah, it really is. And um, I was just reading something the other day that said, you know, your real training doesn't begin until you feel like giving up. And there's a point in the water where, you know, everything feels well, obviously, it feels intense, but it's bearable. And then it's it's such a mental exercise because you can feel the cold kind of increasing and increasing. And your mind is saying, okay, it's time to get out. It's time to get out. But it's always a balance between what you're willing to tolerate <laughs> and that discomfort. So, yeah, it's a, really, uh, it's a really amazing opportunity to face yourself every single day. John, I, I, I was expecting a team of people to run up to you and cover you in the solar, the shiny blankets and, and, and start <laughs> rubbing your shoulders and your calves. To, but you, you, you're, you're just chilling with your shirt off. You're, you're chilling in shorts on the Peace River. Well, yeah, I am. I'm standing by a fire. Okay. So, so that part's not too bad. My wife did come and give me a, a towel, which I have tucked under my arm here. <laughs> Look so, at your skin, though. Your skin is like this, this, this red. Obviously, it, it does something physically. A huge sort of has a huge physical yeah. impact there. Yeah, it really does. Um, and the more that I've done it, obviously, I've learned a little bit more about the the physiological processes that get uh, activated when you go into the cold. And your body has mechanisms to protect itself quite well. And part of that is when you go out into the cold all of the blood vessels in your skin close tightly and it stops the, the blood that's being cooled by the water or the air from circulating into your core. And you actually, just the way that we are, our, our bodies are, um, have mechanisms to protect us from the cold. We just very rarely put ourselves into situations where they're needed to be used. Uh, journalist Trevor Robb is watching right now. He says, this is an extremely Canadian story. Uh, Edmonton, <laughs> Edmonton City Councilor Tim Carmel is watching right now. He says, not a chance. Uh, I'm, with, <laughs> I'm with you, Councilor. People are suggesting that Sam Brooks and I should be doing this in, in the North Saskatchewan. No. And, and I'm going uh, to just immediately <laughs> kill that idea. That ain't happening. Um, John Marks. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think you should. Uh, <laughs> I do a live we hit should- from a hot spring. But not from a river in the winter. Yeah, that's right. Maybe that's what maybe that's what we could do. We could meet up at a hot spring somewhere and go into a cold pool. Oh, buddy, if you want to do that, we could do a whole show from the pool. I'm, I'd be fine with that. Um, unbelievable. That would be awesome. Well, hey, listen. Um, this is I don't even know what to say to wrap this ex- except just to, you're you're an absolute legend and uh, and and your son Jeremiah as well. Can can you talk to us for a second about? your wife and the impact that she's had, uh, Sam, maybe we could tee up some of those photos. Uh, my understanding yeah. is that the majority of the photos on your Instagram, which I encourage everybody to follow at John Mark Earl, uh, are your <laughs> wife's work. And she just has a beautiful eye. Um, she's also out there with you all the time. What has this done for your relationship with your wife? 
Well, <laughs> not surprisingly, it has uh, ups and downs. But um, because of the intensity of this whole experience, um, sometimes emotions are <laughs> are high. But she's here right now. She's actually holding the phone for me. Um, and my sister, Bethany, she comes out a lot too. She's She has some of the photos that are on there also. But um, it's been a surprisingly unique opportunity for us to come out as a family and spend time in nature during the winter uh doing an activity we never imagined we would be doing john and, and yeah my wife has gone in too um and it's something that although she doesn't go in as regularly as i do it's been something that it really has brought us together uh, Brenda's watching. She says, we need to get this guy a real talk toque. Uh, I'll tell you what, the minute that we have real talk toques, you're, you're <laughs> getting the toques? first, you're getting the first one, buddy. Uh, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Ronan is wondering if you peed in the river to warm up. Definitely not. <laughs> Honestly, they go in the river. Everything tightens up so much. Uh, it's not as easy to just let that go as you think. Yeah. Just, just ask George Costanza, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> John Mark, uh, you just I'm just I'm so thrilled that you made this happen. There was a lot of effort that went in behind the scenes for you to scope out an area that would have good enough reception for you to stream video. You went out, you pounded out the ice ahead of time to clear the way. You got your son Jeremiah here. Um, this is a segment, this is an interview I will never forget. Uh go warm up, my man. And I look forward to uh hopefully I'm imagining that your Instagram following is is about to double. I hope that's the case, my man. Thanks for making awesome. time for Thank us. Thank you. I'll just say one last thing. Yeah. Um, as I'm standing here talking to you, the back of my shorts is frozen solid. <laughs> so that's how cool. That's how cold it is here today. Okay. Can, okay. can you turn around and show can us? You, yeah. Yeah. Show us. This is the first time we've ever asked a listener or, or a guest to do that. But yeah, look so at this that. here. This here is just like look at your a frozen block. Look at your skin, though. Your skin is like ruby red still. <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, go get a blanket around you. And uh, I imagine Jeremiah is already thanks back so in much. that beautiful hunter patterned bathrobe. Nice job, you two. And thanks for making time for us on Real Talk. Uh, that is the legendary John Mark Earl coming to us from Peace River. Uh, <laughs> how are you? What did we just witness? What is going on? Sandra's like, go get dressed. Go warm up right now. Uh, Sandra, yeah, she's saying it's time to end the interview. You got to let him go. <laughs> and that's right. I have a sense. Jordy says he's my hero. That was very brave. I, I get the sense that uh, John Mark Earl is one of those guys that finds comfort in the uncomfortable. But the mental fortitude that that would require. Like you and I, I mean, the idea here, people are saying, well, you should do this in the North Saskatchewan. You and I, and the answer is an immediate no. Like, I no. also think the North Saskatchewan's not safe for that, but that's that. Yeah, that, that is a question for my friend Vince, actually, who I've been thinking about this whole thing. So my my friend, uh, Vin, Doctor Vince McFarland, I'm going to give him the doctor because he earned his doctorate two years ago. Uh, now works out of the University of Winnipeg. He's originally from Edmonton. He is a river ice researcher. Oh wow! So he actually has done a ton of field work in Peace River, except he puts on like full body thermal hip waders when he goes out into the river to take measurements because he specifically studies the way that ice forms. 
during freeze up. How fascinating is it's that? It's really cool. Okay, I'm, can I can I nerd out for a moment here? Uh, as, yeah, you can if you can keep it in less than fourteen minutes. Okay, yes. uh, I can I can nerd out in thirty seconds. So Vince studies um, ice as it forms in turbulent water, and it forms in something called frazzle ice, which are these absolutely perfect little circular discs of ice. Which I'm I'm trying to make it. My microphone's in the way of the camera. There we go. Anyways, point of these tiny little circular discs, and that's how ice forms in river, and then they clump together, and that's what you see floating down the river. They're called frazzle pans. And Vince uses imaging technology to measure the size of them. So, like, not only does is, is, is he, like, quite literally a world expert on river ice, but he also, the images that he takes of these frazzle crystals floating in ice are stunningly beautiful. Wow. Okay, can you, while we have this next interview, hey, sorry, we're just going to have to move on to, to check in with an eight-time world champion boxer. So just, you know, pardon us. I, I apologize that there's been no break on this show with boring garbage for us to be able to, like, go top up our coffees. It's just nonstop fascinating interviews with wonderful guests. But maybe when I'm talking in a second to Jelena Burdenovich, maybe you could, like, does your buddy have an Instagram? Could I will you, see what I can find. Could you maybe find. pull up some, some, some frazzle ice photos that maybe you could show us? That would be pretty cool. Um, I love this. Uh, Greg, by the way, s saying that Sam is really, uh, really seems to be kind of uh, on, the, on, on the comment thread. Greg says you're protecting the Hanson salted caramel. Um, it does appear as though you're kind of, like I noticed that that I have a full coffee here um, that uh, that does not have any Hanson salted caramel in it, Sam, which is I'm not I don't know what to read into that. What I do know is that shortly after we mentioned it on the show and Hanson's not paying us to do this. Actually, you know what? You know what? You dropped that bottle off. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give her the credit for dropping it because she deserves it. It was a gift to Real Talk from Edmonton mayoral candidate Cheryl Watson. So there you have it. So that was probably the best 50 or 60 bucks that Cheryl Watson's campaign team has ever spent. Thank you for that. Uh, but I did hear from many of you in the audience that said you went online uh, to see about the availability of the Hanson salted caramel coffee liqueur immediately after we mentioned it, and it was already sold out. So apologies for that. But if I know anything about the team at Hanson Distillery, they're probably going to be getting that back in order, which is good because they owe us, as we mentioned, a case for talking about it on the show today. You see how we do this? Let's recognize a couple more of our sponsors before we get to eight-time world champion. She wants to be... She's defending her title tomorrow night. She wants to add another belt uh, to what is already, as far as I'm concerned, a Canadian, obviously, uh, Canadian Sports Hall of Fame career, Jelena Murdenovich, in just a moment. Uh, but right now, we wanted to remind you how excited we are to be partnering with the team at Park Power. You know, they power our Real Talk RJ hashtag, uh, which is where we keep, uh, uh, where we get a sense of how you feel about what's going on right now. The, the stories that we're covering, maybe the, the things that we're not talking about, DMAC or D-Man right now, DC and YEG says that was absolutely awesome with John Mark Earl says I don't even know what else to say that was just awesome and then he hashtags real talk RJ and meanwhile in Alberta <laughs> I love that D-Man thanks for tuning in Park Power you know is your friendly local utilities provider so that means they're in the natural gas game they're in the electricity game and they've got internet services as well so you're paying someone for those services. Why not bring your business over to Park Power? They're local. Their call center's local. Their customer service is local. They're partners with Real Talk. 
and they profit share with local nonprofits, local charities. How cool is that? You can check out more at parkpower.ca or you can look them up on seriously any social media platform. Their social media game is amazing. So whether it's LinkedIn or TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever's your jam, you'll find Park Power there. We're also really grateful to be teamed up with the team at Alta Moving and Storage. Now, as the name would suggest, they've got the long-term and the short-term storage. You need to Uh, get something out of the basement or you're moving or you're renovating your house and you need to get the furniture somewhere safe, climate controlled. They've got that covered. And then they also have those pod style containers. So you give them a call, you tell them exactly what you're doing, and then they'll help you find the perfect fit. They drop it off. They can provide movers to help you load and unload that pod style container, or you can do it yourself. And they have those frog boxes too, those eco-friendly moving boxes. Basically the point is they've got you covered at Alta Moving and storage. Do we have Jelaine on the line? Uh, we asked her to check in in about f- a few minutes from now, so she'd be early if she was on right now. Jelena Murdenovich down uh, in Los Angeles, California, uh, an eight-time world champion boxer out of Edmonton, you likely already know that, is going to be defending her title tomorrow night uh, against, she's going to be fighting Paulo Torres. Uh, it's the WBA featherweight belt. You know, she's been a world champ in three different weight categories. Uh, she's an absolute legend fighting out of Edmonton, Alberta, of course, but there's a real emotional significance, and, and we'll ask her about this. Her longtime uh, trainer, uh, Milan Lubovac, is uh, currently on, on life support uh, following a cardiac arrest coming up on a year ago, about 10 months ago. And Jelena, I know, is fighting for him, and we're looking forward to hearing that story. Sam, we do have a second here, so why don't we get to the news headlines? Because there are a few stories that I think are demanding our attention, and we want to make sure that we pay attention to those. Here's what's going on in the world around us today. Sarah Kahie is the first Albertan to receive the COVID-19 vaccination. She is a respiratory therapist at the University of Alberta Hospital. Uh, She says that it felt like a historic moment, Uh, said the respiratory therapist Sarah Kahie. I feel honored and very grateful to be part of this entire experience. When I woke up, I wasn't expecting to be the first person in Alberta to get the injection. That's exactly what happened yesterday. Of course, we expected about 1,800 healthcare workers, uh, most notably uh, two hospitals in Calgary, two in Edmonton will be the first to receive that as well as long-term care residents. And we'll keep you posted as vaccination opportunities arise or as uh, more news is available with regards to the public's schedule on that. In sad news, the search has been called off for a Winnipeg sailor missing from a Canadian Navy ship. Master sailor Dwayne Earl, 47 years of age, is believed to have accidentally fallen aboard the HMCS Winnipeg early Monday, about 925 kilometers off the coast of California. Uh, Just last night, a 30-hour search was called off, National Defense confirming that Master Sailor Earl's body was not found. Uh, says Rear Admiral Brian Santarpia, it's with a heavy heart that we announce we have concluded our active search for Master Sailor Earl. The decision was not taken lightly. However, after extensive coverage of the search area, we have not been able to locate him. Our thoughts with the sailors and the uh, Canadian Navy personnel aboard that, and of course, outside as well, the men and women of the Canadian forces who will mourn this loss without a doubt. And finally, uh, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole under fire for uh, comments he made in addressing a group 
of young conservatives at Ryerson University in Toronto. Uh, What's interesting here is that the conservative leader, the leader of Canada's official opposition, was asked by these students how they should respond when confronted uh, by conversation around Canada's residential schools by young liberals. And the conservative leader suggested that the line should be that residential schools were originally created to provide education, but subsequently became horrible. The response is being described as tone deaf and even racist by critics. Uh, We will have an ask in with conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, uh, and we hope that we'll be able to speak with him. Uh, this uh, being described by Bill Kelly, uh, a radio commentator at 900 CHML, as evidence of Mr. O'Toole's propensity for shooting himself in the foot. You can let me know what you think about that. I've already seen some comments on our YouTube thread. We'll get to some of those later on in the broadcast. And, of course, you can always use the hashtag RealTalkRJ. So we're hanging tight for boxer Jelena Merdanovich, who uh, coming up in 54 minutes will be weighing in for her fight tomorrow, uh, defending her belt. Sam, just let me know when she's here. And in the meantime, I'm going to go yep, ahead. We, we, we don't have her yet. Okay, <clears throat> I'm, just let I'm me waiting know. to see her. I've got some frazzle photos if you want to see. Oh, them. yes. Yeah. I've nice been texting quick Vince quickly here. So, nice. yeah, we oh, got so this. He's, he, hang on. He sent you these already in the last five minutes? I, yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've, been, we've been chatting. It's been great. Love uh, it. Okay. Yeah. It's good. So, this is what ice in the river looks like as it forms. Ooh. Isn't that cool? He's actually won awards from science communication um, uh, publications for these photos. I know that this is uh, not the the direction you're expecting me to take this, but this also looks like drone footage of those floating plastic garbage islands in the Little ocean. A little bit, hey? It looks yeah. like floating garbage off the coast of Indonesia, but it's, but it's not. This is ice forming. This is ice forming. This is in a lab, wow. but he recreates the same stuff in the North Saskatchewan River and in Peace River. Uh, very cool stuff. Uh, his Instagram's not public, so I'm not going to divulge what it is, but uh, yeah, Dr. Vince McFarlane. No, but hang on a second. Just yeah. just because an Instagram account is private, that just means that people have to request to follow. That's true. It he doesn't, doesn't post this stuff on it. It's mostly just him and his fiance and his dog and, and that okay, kind of yeah, stuff that yeah, he posts yeah, on. Yeah, so nobody, nobody he wants to that. keep it personal, and that's fine. <laughs> we'll respect that. that. That's the Instagram thing with a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like you follow somebody because you're expecting to see what you're hoping to see, and then it's just a bunch of photos of their baby, and you're like, uh, right? That's the thing with Instagram, isn't it? Yeah, that's word on the street anyway. I wanted to get to this. You can send us an email anytime. Uh, by All you do is you go to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's what you type. That, that email is going to go directly to Sam, directly to me, and the rest of our production team. There's no rest of the production team. It goes to Sam and me if you email us at talk at ryanjesperson.com. And that's exactly what Katie did yesterday. Uh, Katie was tuned in for our talk with Ann Castleman of The Walrus. And uh, this this was uh, Ann's piece on affordable child care in Canada resonated with a lot of you I know. And it prompted Katie to send this email. Katie said, you know, uh, I was really looking forward to hearing your show uh, in regards to with regards to affordable child care. She says, I'm curious. Um how much the United Conservative government in Alberta has cut the affordable child care program in Alberta. Uh, You remember there was that $25 a day pilot program that the NDP had put in, Uh, specifically which centers they decided to cut. Katie says, let me be clear. I think that everyone should have access to affordable child care, but I think that the cuts that were made were made carelessly. Katie says, for example, two daycare centers in Calgary in an affluent suburb still have that $25 a day program intact right now. Well, 
many child care or daycare centers in lower socioeconomic communities were cut. More specifically, it doesn't seem right that a family with a combined income of over $300,000 are still allowed to be part of the program while families that truly need it are missing out. Katie said, I, I would have been curious to know if Heidi Bergstrom had any insight into this. Wasn't Heidi Bergstrom impressive yesterday? She's an accountant out of Camrose, Alberta. She joined us to talk about this petition that she started. She's calling for a universal uh, national child care program in Canada. And if you want to learn more about that, you know, all you do, it's simple. You subscribe to our podcast. The interviews will be right there on your phone, your tablet already. Or you can go to our YouTube channel. We encourage you to subscribe there as well. Uh, ring the bell so you know when we're going live, like yesterday mid-afternoon. We went live uh, with Dr. Stephen Duckett. You can watch the past shows, or of course, you can just check out my Twitter profile where I've linked uh, to Heidi's uh, petition if you want to take a look at that and sign it. Katie says, I've, I've sent my thoughts in an email as opposed to a tweet because I want to maintain some anonymity. We're not using your last name, obviously. She says, I was worried that the family that I know with the combined annual income of over 300 grand that still has the $25 a day childcare, I was, I was worried that, that, you know, that might confuse my question about this as a statement and, and that it may be perceived that I don't support the affordable childcare program. I absolutely do. I just wish every family could have access to it. But if there's not universal access, there's got to be a different way to choose which families are allowed to participate. Katie makes a great point. Um, the way I see it is that there, there's, there's got to be one, or, one of two scenarios. You either make it um, based on income, where you would say families under a combined income of whatever it is, $100,000, wherever you set it, $90,000, $150,000, uh, probably depends on the community you live, the cost of living. It would have to be a nuanced um, perspective where you would say, uh, you know, families that, that are under this income threshold or that don't meet this income threshold would qualify for $25 a day or for completely subsidized or however you have it, however you structure it. That's up to the lawmakers, not to us. Or you say it's universal. That's probably the easiest way to do it. It's more expensive, but you just say everybody qualifies. Kind of like the idea, well, this is a bit of a stretch, but kind of like the idea of a flat rate income tax. Everybody pays 10%, which, by the way, is what I would do if I was premier. 10% flat rate income tax and a GST or a provincial sales tax, harmonized sales tax. That's what I think the government should do. But I digress. We don't have time to get into that because we have an eight-time world champion boxer Joining us live right now from Los Angeles, she needs no introduction, but that doesn't mean we're not going to give her an introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Canada's all-time great fighter, Jelena Murdenovich. Thanks for making time for us, and welcome to Real Talk this morning. Hi, I am so happy to be on here with you. We are so happy to have you here. Now, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you agreed to talk to us because you are you are in the zone now. Uh, tomorrow, you will be defending your title. You're going to be fighting, of course, we know your 53rd career bout, and you're going to be defending a belt. So where's your head at right now? If I understand correctly, you're about 45 minutes away from weighing in. Uh, we are very close, I think. Um 10.30, 10.45 is what we're told. So this is great. It's a good distraction. I've been, you know, eating ice and trying not to drink water. So uh, I'm on weight. I um, feel good. I'm just trying to stay busy. So this is great. Jelena, this is how do you approach this fight, your 53rd career fight, um, and obviously a big one for you. How does this differ 
uh, from other fights. I know that there's a real emotional element to this one. Yeah. Um, you know my story. I'm, I'll give you a quick recap for everybody who doesn't know. Um, my longtime trainer of 19 years suffered a cardiac arrest um, February 18th. Um, we were training to probably get ready for a fight in March, which obviously wouldn't have happened due to COVID. Um, and kind of, yeah, my life got turned upside down. Um, him and I have over 18 years have become very, 19 years, sorry, very, very close. I, I always joke around and say uh, he has two daughters, one older than I and one younger and I always joke around and tell everybody I'm the son he always wanted but never had because I do the boxing, I golf, I, you know, help him out with kind of everything. And um, and it's been hard. So, um, you know, that started my year. And then COVID obvious, obviously is, is happening. I shouldn't say has happened, um, is happening. And I've been going through a lot of depression and anxiety and stress and, and um, you know, the only thing I really know how to, not the only thing, but what I know, the only thing I know for a fact that gets me out of a rut is training for a fight and doing what I love to do, which is boxing. Um, we've fortunately with the bubble and the situation that they've had with fighting, um, there's been a lot of opportunities for network TV and, and a lot of opportunities for women's boxing. Um, and we had a lot of offers. So kind of Mel and I had to talk about this and I said, I'm not on a good path. Um, and I need to do something. So finding a new trainer and, and having this fight was that thing, even though I've been through my goodness, like every emotional roller coaster throughout this camp. Um, um, that's what makes it different. It is my first fight without Milan. How do you think that that's going to, first of all, can I just say thank you for your honesty and thank you for your candor and we named the show Real Talk for a reason because these are the conversations we want to have. And, and hearing someone like you, a decorated fighter, a legendary athlete, uh, one who will go down in Canadian history as one of the all-time great Canadian athletes, to hear you talk about your personal struggles and your low points and depression and the impact of, of this pandemic on you. And, and we haven't even talked yet about the fact that you're a business owner. You own Champs Boxing Studio, and I can't imagine what that's been like as an entrepreneur as well. But I so respect you for, for what you're bringing to the table here. How do you think that all of this, uh, I know that fighters, you probably have to separate yourself. You probably have to you go into, some, into a mental space in the ring um, where, where you, you can't become angry or you can't become exasperated. Uh, you have to be a tactician. So how will you be fighting this fight differently against Paolo Torres, all things considered? Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, I, I found an amazing trainer um, to finish my legacy with me and someone who I found cares a lot about me um, in a short period of time as well. So I've been very fortunate, you know, and I don't know if that has you know, something to do with Milan helping me along the way or teaching me the right things and, and uh, guiding me. But mentally, you know, you say that separation and yes, you train for what you're doing, but what I didn't realize, and I'm sure I did subconsciously, but I never had to think about it because he's always been with me. Um, but what I didn't realize was how much Milan played into the last 10 days of training. And 
how much I relied on him and our relationship and friendship to get through the hard stuff. Um, and so this has been a challenge. I've had a million breakdowns and Jonathan's been amazing. He uh, has pushed me to be able to, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but push me to where I would be at extremes and I would be exhausted physically. I would be exhausted emotionally. Um, you know, unfortunately he's not at this fight, but I have an amazing um, second trainer, uh, Rick uh, Phillips. And, you know, through it all, I kind of, I've had some natural hiccups and I had a little fit and, and, you know, I did see that rage. I had the sobbing tears in the middle of sparring. And what we did realize throughout all of that and throughout that perseverance and endurance and pushing to the next level was no matter what, when push comes to shove, Milana's taught me so well and that I will come to fight. I was, I was telling this funny story. Um, my last sparring, well, second last sparring, cause I had a hissy fit, but my last sparring was supposed to be Thursday and I had a full on breakdown round eight and I was oversensitive and some instruction I got, I didn't agree with. And I smelled down and, um, in between my tears and I was like, start the bell. We had two more rounds to finish. And I went out and I like, I had this 150 pound sparring partner. He was amazing from Miami, um, 108 uh, Muay Thai boxing fights combined. And I went out and I, uh, boom, boom, boom. And I dropped him <laughs> in the eighth, ninth round. And then I got up and I was like, let's go. Gave him a second and did it again. Um, and so uh, I, I boxed so amazingly those last two rounds and then, continued that on the Friday for another six rounds. And so, you know, what I did learn through that and, and what I did realize with Jonathan and Rick pushing me is that they were trying to get me to that point where I would break and see what I would do. And, you know, when push comes to shove, when I have to face that extreme adversity, I will show up. I've been trained to do this. This is my 53rd fight. I've had eight world titles, more than half of them titled defenses. So, um, you know, I just have to get my job done. So basically you go in there and, and I don't know if you, I would imagine you approach different fights with different fighters differently. Uh, it sounds to me like you might just be looking for the, not for an early knockout. This fight, is that your strategy every time? You know, I always, you guys have talked to me about this before. I don't like leaving it to the judges. I haven't had a lot of friends in the judging situations. Um, however, um, I, this fight is so much more than Paola Torres. Like, and I know that she is going to come amazing. She's going to come 150%. She, everybody elevates to fight me that targets on my back at all times. Um, but I, I am just trying to get through this mentally and emotionally safe. Um, and that will be the challenge. Uh, I'm going to, I know my first two rounds are going to suck. I'm going to have to settle in. I'm going to have to get over that. Uh, I was saying, I watched uh, promo clips. I was sending them off and I didn't even watch the clip. I was watching the seconds before the fight and when they do that intro and I had a breakdown. Um, those moments, before they say my name, before we touch gloves, before that bell rings, that is what I'll miss the most. And... 
those are the times that I don't think I realized were so special and so important to me. So uh, I think it'll take me a minute to shake it off, um, settle in, and then, uh, you know, I think once once the sweat gets dripping and the punches keep landing, I think I'll get the job done. No, I, I, I have my own prediction for this, how this fight's going to go. Uh, but I'm not going to say. I'm going to let the fight play out. Um, and we're going to be watching, Jelena, and we're going to be cheering for you, and we're going to be so proud. I just want to—I want to uh, revisit something you, you've made. A couple of comments. Have you confirmed? Is this—is this, is this uh, undoubtedly your final fight? No, no. Okay. Um, this is this is just to see if I can continue to do this. Um, I knew it was going to be hard. Um, I knew the process was going to take me to every level. Um, but I needed to see that when the eight weeks come through and we're ready to fight, that if I can do that, and we are so close to finishing that this weigh in weight cut, obviously was great. Cause I'm talking to you. Um, and the, like, this is the strongest, the leanest, um, I have ever felt. So we just have to get the job done Thursday. Um, and then, you know, them they want to lead us into a unification fight. My goal is to be undisputed at 126, which means I'm missing two belts. Um, so the goal is to get there. Um, but one day at a time, one fight at a time. Um, you know, right now, Jonathan and I are finding a groove and, and finding that relationship. And, and I do believe he is my guy to finish my legacy with me. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Thursday is a big night and Paolo is coming to fight and, you know, it's under the lights. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Some people shine and and thus far I've shone every time I've come out most times. Um, But you never know fight night. Yeah. I mean, eight world titles, uh, you find a way to shine. Uh, I was going to say, I I love how you're very open. You're very transparent on your social media. People can follow you on Instagram at Jelena Boxing. you look like this, this kind of a weird thing to say, I guess in a way, but like you look lean, like you look like I've, I, I don't know. You're, you're jacked right now. You're rocking the eight pack. You're like, you, you oh, look, you, I'll give you a little sneak peek. Yeah. Am, let's, like very, ah, that's what we're talking yeah, about. I'm, I'm uh yeah, I'm pretty lean right now. Yeah. So. So you're, you're like, and, this. I, and I feel great. I feel great. I have like a lot of energy, you know, we made weight when I woke up, which is for me, usually I have to do a little bit in the morning, but um, that's why I said to you, I'm like, I can't confirm today because I might have to go to work. Yeah. Um, and I woke up and I was on weight. So that's amazing. Um, Can you give us you a know, sense of how, how would, how would it have gone, Jelaine, if you were like a pound or two or three uh, heavy and you need to make weight, how would you do it? What, what would be the, is it like diuretics or like, do you like wear a garbage no. bag or how do you do it? Yes, I were put a sauna suit on. Um, Boxer has the most amazing sauna suits, uh, but I put a sauna suit on, and this is the way I like to do it. Um, some people would do a bath and go under blankets and sweat it out, but I put a sauna suit on, and I hit the treadmill, and it's very light, very slow, just get that sweat going, about 20 minutes, and then I just lay literally under blankets um, in sweatpants and just keep sweating that extra half pound, so... 
one pound is easy. If you're talking like two, three, you're in trouble. You got a lot of work to do in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Cause I was, I was hoping you could maybe help me lose like 30 pounds in time for the holiday photos. Uh, but probably not. Hey, <laughs> well, do you know, actually, I mean, I don't, I don't suggest it long-term, but pulling your sodium, uh, from your diet or limiting your sodium, it, it works wonders. Um, and that's another trick of the trade is you, you take your sodium out, your food tastes like really bland, but, um, and you will start just shedding water weight. Your body, um, does some super incredible things and, you know, just little fine tuning things that I've learned along the way with a great team, uh, bite me meal prep has been amazing. I had a friend, Mitch Clark fought in the UFC has helped me now, um, Chris, Chris Camacho has been working with Triple G and Nala, Nayla, sorry, has done my meal prep down here. Like I've had some pretty amazing people help me out and I've just taken tidbits here and there to make this process so much easier. Mitch Clark is such a legend. Hey, it was like, it was like about 10 years ago that I, as a publicity stunt, I got in the octagon with Ryan Real Deal Ford, who just basically kicked the shit out of me for like 10 straight minutes. But but Mitch Clark trained me for that. And uh, along with, uh, you know, Luke at Hayabusa and all those guys. It's, it's Oh, yeah. When, when you take a look at, at Alberta and boxing and mixed martial arts, there's been a really tight community. Uh, I would imagine that you probably feel that support. Do you feel like, you know, you're down in Los Angeles, you're going to be fighting under the lights. Uh, I should let people know that they can they can watch on NBC Sports. They can watch on the app Twitch. Uh, you can set up an account and do that. Search for Ring City USA. You can watch it there. Yes. Um, and, and of course, make sure that you tag Champs Boxing Yeg if you're watching and chiming in. Do you feel when you're down stateside, or I mean, you fought all over the place, uh, do you feel like you have a bit of an army behind you now? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I am this, like you've said, I've been uh, very candid. Um, you know, part of the reason is, is because mental health right now is something that is, I, I think we're coming into the pinnacle of it. Um, you know, in Alberta, you know that it's getting really cold and we're not able to get that vitamin D sunshine. We're not able to get out and get that fresh air because it is getting cold. Um, and I, I, I fear that your mental people's mental health is going to struggle. Um, I have been going through it. Um, and, and it is a hard thing to get out of that rut. Um, and so why I've been so open is if I can be an inspiration, a light, a catalyst, or something to say, hey, all you have to do is set your mind to something and slowly every day get to that goal. This didn't happen overnight. I didn't get these abs overnight. This has been eight weeks of keeping my head down getting my job done and going through the process. Yeah, it was hard. It was so hard. Um, but throughout all of that, I mean, regardless of what happens on Thursday, I will have achieved something because I have gone through the process. I have opened wounds to start healing them, to start closing them and to start changing. And, and that is a big thing. That change, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time with incredible support. And I am very lucky that I've had, I've had girlfriends, um, one, a couple of my good girlfriends, my cohort, you know, Carmen, Cheyenne, Lindsay, never mind my amazing um, sisters. And, and I have, I have a book club, which is wine club but right now it's soda club for me yeah that's right um that we that we zoom and you know i i got on a zoom call on friday with my girlfriends and and all the people i grew up with and and you know it's it's times like that where you see like 
your people come and they come together and they're there for you no matter what. And without those people being away for eight weeks, isolated with my head down, yes, it's been a challenge. Um, but without them, I don't know if it would have been as seamless. I mean, I did have a few hissy fits. Um, I did have a lot of tears, more tears than I care to admit. Um, but I also feel like I'm coming out strong. Um, I'm coming out safe so far. Um, and, and I'm going to come out ahead. And again, if I can help someone who's going through something shitty, who's going through something tough, if I can help one person, I just want them to know all you need to do is start. All you need to do is start the process and things will happen. We're getting a ton of comments. Uh, I'm getting them on Twitter and on YouTube right now as well. I, I just I don't have time to read them all, Jelena, but April says uh, Jelena is an extended part of the Edmonton Klansman Rugby Club, and all of us are, are wishing her all the best. Uh, Greg says those she's... Are, those are my brother's people. Those are my family. Extended. Yeah, this the, is where we say. Yeah, hey, well, if you're a fighter and you got the Klansman Rugby Club in your corner, the, the, you're doing all right. Greg says uh, she always no speaks problem. from the heart. She will rock again. Trevor says she's an absolute legend. Uh, and then a bunch of people are just writing, like Zed says, Zed, Zed just says, damn. So I think that that's a pretty good compliment as well. <laughs> hey, Jelena, I know you've got to go to your way in, but let me just ask you really quickly, because we, we touched on this. Um, you have a beautiful facility. Uh, the design of it's amazing. The rollout has been incredible. Obviously, you got kicked in the teeth like everybody else with COVID. Um, shortly after you opened Champs Boxing Studio, uh, just north of Jasper Ave on 109th Street in Edmonton. What has the pandemic done? For, just to talk business for a second, what's it done? To, obviously, fitness studios have been hit really hard. Uh, how have you managed that? Oh, uh, I mean, it's, I have a really good manager right now and I'm thankful for her because she's the reason why I was able to leave. Cheryl, um, has been incredible. Uh, and then we rolled out some virtual classes, but, uh, we'll be, we'll be lucky if we come out of this kicking. I mean, if we continue, I mean, we're on what a four week lockdown right now. I've been in hiding. Um, and, uh, it's a struggle. It's stressful. I was supposed to open South. We were in the process of expanding and uh, that kind of kicked me in the face. So took a little bit of my nest egg away. So I'm a little stressed. My, um, my landlord hasn't been amazing. He's trying, but the owners of the building don't understand. They're not from Edmonton. Um, they're from Vancouver, so they're not feeling it as tough as much as we are. I mean, everybody's feeling everything, but um it's been an added stress. So hopefully we come out alive and hopefully we are able to keep kicking after. Um, but only time will tell if we continue this way as an economy, I don't see how we're going to survive. You know, my family's in the hospitality industry. A lot of my friends are in the entertainment industry and, and we're going through that mental stress, that mental health. Like that's why I keep talking about, it. I was going through this since February, but everything accumulating I was not on a great path and I see kind of where I was and I see a lot of my friends who own businesses who are you know entrepreneurs struggling and and it's hard I mean the, our community is trying to support but our government isn't helping us so they're helping as much as we can, they can but it's a I just would like to go back to real life yeah no kidding Hey, listen, let's end on a positive. I want to read some more of these comments. Um, like two beavers listening in and just says, what a powerful spirit. Um, 
Sarah says, what a candid and poignant conversation uh, with Jelena this morning, showing true strength. She says, good luck in your match tomorrow. I will be rooting for you. Uh, Alicia's watching from Calgary. She says, she just says, you got this champ. So we're all going to be cheering for you. Andre's wondering how he can watch. I'm going to let everybody know all the details, Jelena. We're going to let you go get mentally prepared and go weigh in. And uh, we'll be following with great interest. And, and you'll probably be able to hear us uh, from here in Alberta, in Western Canada. We got your back, champ. Go get him. I hope so. I also want to say I am super proud of you for this podcast, and I am so thankful you finally got me on. Hey, well, um, it took me so, three weeks. What the hell was the – I don't know why uh, I made you wait so long. Well, I know. I thought I would be your number one call. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you'd be any other time, my friend. I would just You were in training. You were in your bubble. You were training. We're following the story, though. You. Yeah. Hey, Jelena, I'm go get them, and I can't wait for the next time our paths cross. You guys, thank you so much. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, this truly means a lot. Uh, the support that everybody has given me um, has been overwhelming and I do it for everybody at home. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. I love you. Amazing. What a fighter. That's Jelena Murdenovich, eight time world champion. Uh, how do you not love her? Right? Like she's absolutely incredible. She's going to be fighting as mentioned tomorrow. Uh, the best thing you can do is go follow her on Instagram at, at Jelena boxing. Um, but if you want the details on how you can watch, so it's December 17th, that's tomorrow, seven o'clock. Uh, she's fighting in Los Angeles. Uh, you can watch uh, NBC sports is going to be carrying the fight as well as the Twitch app so you can download twitch and then you just set up an account there uh you can also search for ring city usa just google ring city usa and under their schedule for december 17th you'll be able to find it there uh you'll be able to choose the fight and then watch on your device or you can actually stream it to your tv by way of ring city usa so all the details though again her team is doing a really good job she's obviously got somebody managing her social media while she's training for the fight um, they're doing a good job of making that accessible uh <laughs> jelena is just i I, 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 this, there's not even a point to this story, but I just want to say, like, she, it was kind of funny. She was talking about Milan, her, her longtime trainer, uh, Lubavac, who's, 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 uh, suffered that cardiac arrest back in February and has been on, uh, quite frankly, has been on life support since. And you can tell, obviously, that Jelena will be fighting for him. Um, she talked about how she was kind of hit the sun that he never had. And uh, when she said that, I just, I got this memory, and there's no real point to this story. I just want to say how much I adore her. Uh, you know probably that I'm the in-game host for the Edmonton Oilers, and I can't wait to get back to that. Uh, it means that I'm the loudmouth on the Jumbotron when, when the Oilers are playing at Rogers Place, and, and it gives me a chance to, to obviously head into some of the suites and to, to rub shoulders with some people and meet people and, and spend some time talking. And I walk into this, this luxury box last season uh, at the invitation of the host, and they said, we've got some people here. We'd love for you to meet them, make them feel welcome. I said, yeah, that's what I do. It's my gig. I walk in, and there's Jelena Murdenovich, eight-time world champion box, and Canadian country music legend Gord Bamford, and they are getting into one, and they are having. They're, 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 nobody in this luxury box is having a bad time, and so I'm watching, and I like I have other responsibilities, like I have to go out and I have to like do my job and and talk to people and and be professional, and so I was like, hey guys, like you, I, I got to come back. I cannot engage in this fun, this this frivolous fun. I have a job to do, and I said, are you going? They said, we're not going anywhere. So I complete my obligations, I complete my duties, and then I end up heading out with these two. And we painted the town. And we painted the town until the wee morning hours. And I will never forget the interaction seeing, seeing. it was kind of funny because I was the guy, there's the three of us out, and people would come up and say, like, can we get a picture? 
and everyone's like, yeah, you can get a picture, right? And people just hand me the phone. Like, you take the picture. Because we want a picture with Jelena Burdenovich, eight-time world champion boxer and Canadian country music legend, Gord Bamford. And it was one of the greatest nights. Two of the, the great Albertans uh, with a huge heart for people, a huge awareness of their fan base and a real appreciation of their fan base. And I can tell you, and you can see it there, uh, I think with every word that she delivered, how aware she is of the support that she's receiving and how much it means to her. So she will be fighting the 53rd fight of her career. Uh, it's tomorrow night. Uh, she's going to be taking on who I think she is indicating she sees as, as a formidable challenger in Paulo Torres uh, as she uh, defends her belt. This is, uh, again, a big fight. Uh, she's defending her WBA featherweight belt. The fight, again, in Los Angeles, California. What an absolute legend. Before we sign off today, uh, we wanted to remind Mind you that our question of the week is available at ryanjesperson.com. You just go to the home page. You'll see it right there in the top corner, the question of the week. That's put out every week by our partners at Y Station. They're the official research and strategy sponsor of Real Talk. And this is your chance to have your voice heard on Real Talk. I mean, let's be honest, there are a lot of chances for you to have your voice heard on Real Talk. That's the whole point of the show. But this is how we find out where you're landing on issues in the news, on topical scenarios. And right now, the question of the week this week, we want to know how your holiday shopping routine has been changed or impacted due to COVID-19. We'll get to the results next Monday on the show. That's how we're going to do it each and every time. And then we'll roll out our new question of the week next Monday. Right now, we encourage you to go and sign up and become part of our Real Talk Y Station panel. We've already got about 400 people signed up. We wanted that number to be two, 3,000. So then when we go to polling, like we're going to have unique polling, scientific polling specific to this show. How cool is that? Not we're going to have. We already have it, but we want to make sure that our sample size is nice and deep. So we want two to 3,000 people as part of that Real Talk panel, and you can sign up today. It's obviously free. That goes without saying, and we value your perspective. So that's a wrap on this Wednesday morning. We're back at it tomorrow. We have a great show in store and a special surprise coming up on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing the podcast. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow at 8.30 Mountain Time at ryanjesperson.com.